You're okay, Jerry. Yeah, this weather, yeah. <laughs> Fourth, you couldn't have me all at current power rankings at number four. You have to have them. Definitely have them at number one. Subscribe to the OTBGAA podcast feed wherever you get your podcasts. OTB AM with Gillette Labs. Get the ultimate shave or your money back. Neon Night Edition available now. It's Wednesday morning and it's bang on half past seven and you're watching OTBM. We have a full house in studio for you this morning. Shane's here. Good morning, how are things? Adrian Barry is here. Morning lads, how are you doing? All the way in, Adrian, how are you? Ah, good. Listen, I got the invite, Jaron. I'm not one, I'm not like a Murphy style who'll be like, ah, just crawl out of bed and throw the camera on at home. So, make the effort like. Oh, fair enough. That's a shot, that's a shot fired. Yeah, well, he's not here to defend himself either, which is always the best shot to fire. Does everybody know where Nathan is? Does do, does our audience out there, does the rest of the world know where Nathan is? I mean, I have a strict no non-disclosure of where people are on their holidays. It's very, it's, it, their private lives are their private lives. But Nathan did manage to get the family to go on holidays to Augusta. <laughs> this is oh. one of the most remarkable achievements that any human being has ever managed in their lives. We're, we're, going, to, we're going to the States. Oh, it's, that's an interesting time to go. What's going on? Oh, we, we'll like take in all the sites. We'll do the whole continent. I just have to disappear to Augusta for three or four days. Uh, and he's he, also, so he's got tickets for today, it must be actually, the practice day. So, but and then he's also got the option if he wants to go over the weekend, he can just turn up over the weekend. So his calendar must be pretty free, I would think. And you, you say tickets like it's plural, but I don't think anybody's it's, going with him. Mm. I think he has tickets for multiple days is the, is, uh, yeah. It's not a family affair. Nathan would be the type who would cry driving down Magnolia Lane, wouldn't he? Like there are certain, there's a certain type of human being who, for the first time driving down there, would would absolutely cry. Do you drive down if you go in and there's Joe Punter? I think you probably get shuffled in a side entrance and like you know Disneyland style sort of like a secret. And Nathan would go on like he's not Joe Punter. He'll, you know, he'll be like, uh, I'm. You make a good point. Ireland's most famous broadcaster. Yeah. Put me in, coach. Uh, sorry, we we got sidetracked from actually the big news overnight, which is of course that uh, Aston Villa are now in the hunt for uh, Champions League place. Right, mm. this is it. Like That's big news, yeah. Bolly Watkins is going to be uh, coveted by all of the major teams who don't currently have a, a centre forward, which would be Manchester United and Chelsea in particular. Mm-hmm. City obviously I think they are sorted. Arsenal probably sorted at the moment, but um, yeah, because there's nobody else who they'll be looking at after last night, is there? No, uh, no, no, Emery. No, no. Is, that, is that what you're saying? Like, no, no, Ollie Watkins is the... He's burying the Irish oh, know, yeah. League, the big Betty's Town oh, sorry, sorry, sorry. I thought you meant Aston Villa, Aston Villa style. You, Unai Emery for, uh, for Chelsea, Jerry. Too late, too late. He's, he's found his metier. This sorry. is where he needs to be. The Harvey, the Harvey Barnes goal is going to get lost. In Harvey Barnes goal is sensational. Like three touches. Yeah. The first touch was outrageous. But anyway, I know that's not what we're, what we're here to talk about, is it? No, Bertrand Traore rescued from the, the <laughs> Turkish Super League. Yeah. Comes off the bench, first touch. In, indeed, he passes it right to him. There you go, mate. Have one. Uh, yes, indeed. It always helps. <clears throat> Nothing else happened last night of any interest, is it? Liverpool, nil all. It was I mean, brutal. I, I actually had flicked over after the first 10 minutes. But the first 10 minutes was one of the most entertaining. Yeah. It looked like a seven aside game. There was goal mount scrambles at both ends. But apparently he was shite, was it? Most of the scrambles were at, around the Liverpool goal, I have to say. Chelsea could have been 3 or 4 nil up after that for 5 or 6 minutes. The first half an hour um, didn't get much better. They had a couple of goals ruled out, obviously, over the course of 90 minutes. I, it, how there wasn't a goal actually scored last night is huh. beyond me. It, two very bad defences. Like, can I say that I don't think... Uh, was, was the first goal ruled out correctly? Is that not... Does, does it 
the handball from Havertz was it? No, that's the, the second oh, no, sorry, one. the Reese James one. Yeah, yeah. Um, uh, did the, he was offside? He was offside for the first did, movement. Did he touch the ball? For the he. he uh, was he, I mean, uh, the way the rule's gone, I don't know. I don't really understand it anymore. But it looked to me, um, unless he touched the ball, in which case, obviously, he was interfering with play. But yeah, nothing else happened last night that we need to talk about. How, how are we four minutes in? We still haven't said his name. Evan Ferguson. We might as well say it. Come on. Um, there it is. There he is, wheeling away with his back to goal, which he never actually faced, apart from maybe to celebrate the fact that the ball had gone in. Mm. Uh, it was a remarkable finish last night. Oh, instinctive. I think last night could have been. So up to this point, it's been bubbling. Like, people are paying attention to Evan Ferguson. That's blindingly obvious. He's been linked with every club that comes up, every manager. It's, you know, every time he scores a goal, he's in commentary. You know, the commentators are mentioning him again in the Chelsea-Liverpool game last night by way of, oh, if they just had this guy out here last night. <laughs> and so that that is happening. But I do think we're moving into the territory. I think the goal he scored last night, the type of goal he scored last night, that you'll have a lot of owners, managers, who have been paying a little bit of attention up to this point. It feels like maybe last night was the one that went, okay, He's here. Let's let's go and get this guy. Name in the proverbial shop window, Adrian. Is that what I do saying? think so. Yeah, the quality of the goal last night. It was actually not unlike one of the first goals that he scored for Brighton, where he lets it sort of slightly shift past his right leg, standing foot mm. onto his uh, left leg, inside foot, and then clips it with the inside of his foot uh, into a narrow enough channel um, beyond the goalkeeper, and it's a thing of absolute beauty. His reaction times are ridiculous. You know that game you play where the, the, the lights light up and you, you flick it? Formula 1 drivers play it all the time to get the reaction. I'd say Ferguson's reaction times are just off the charts. Some of his goals are so reactive. Um, he, just, he has split seconds so the, to the side. The headline on the YouTube highlights for Sky Sports is Stop that, Evan Ferguson. And is that a drooly smiley face? I can't actually... It's Seems to be. too far Should away. Be, yeah. It's drooling, yeah. How he finds himself... He seems to, like, for such a big guy drift into the penalty spot unnoticed with crazy regularity. Like most, of, a lot of his goals are coming from the five, six yard space around the penalty spot. Do you know who he's like? Ruud van Nistelrooy. Because Van Nistelrooy used to ghost in behind as well and his first touch was brilliant and he was also fond of those instinctive goals as well. There's just a touch of that. Not he's, to He's actually way ahead of Van Nistelrooy. In terms, in terms of, of mobility as well, well, yeah. In terms of the speed at which he is reaching... Premier League goal scoring status. He's he's closer to Clivert at this stage yeah. in terms of age. Now, uh, I, like it's just hard not to get. So yeah. we were we've been carried away for months on the show. We we obviously have been, and it's been like really enjoyable. Now it feels like we were underhyped. <laughs> <laughs> it feels like we weren't excited enough, even though we were literally talking about this every morning for about an hour. And I was like, we're just going to talk about Evan Ferguson for the rest of the show because it's so exciting. <laughs> And like, uh, you know, I was, I was going to bed last night going, should I give up supporting Villa and just support Evan Ferguson? Mm. Is that that stage now where you'd be like, yeah, we've got to we've got to go and see him play football like every week? Yeah, do the thing that the kids do, just start supporting the player. Do Ryanair have like a, an airport close to Brighton that they could start well, chartering flights? Remember, everybody used to go to Sunderland and stick on Sunderland Gat- jerseys Gatwick's, for a little while. Gatwick's not far from Brighton. You can go I wouldn't get too married to Brighton, Sa- lads. South End. The longer this goes on, I wouldn't get too married to Brighton. I, they, they, so he signed new terms when he turned 18 in October, if I'm right. Um, and I remember we were talking to Andy Naylor from The Athletic, who covers Brighton a few months back. And this was like, let's say he had scored three or four goals for Brighton at that point, And the talent was clear. And I remember saying to him, you know, like, will they revisit his terms now and offer him new T's and C's as the new offers start to come in? Mm. How that hasn't, that hasn't happened already, apparently. It's yeah. London Gatwick is 26 minutes by train service and 35 minutes by road from Brighton. It's pretty quick. Yeah, it's direct. Team, team trip over. Mm. Very handy. AM from outside Brighton's ground. Oh, yeah, we should do it, actually. 
not to, not that the hype would, would would have reached a peak by that point, but I think yeah. it will have. Get into a hotel near the ground, go and watch the game the night before. Hopefully, it'd likely be a Thursday night game. Mm. I'm glad to have okay. I'm glad to have had the chance to meet and inter- interview him before this so before this all happened. I'm going to look back and go, Jesus, because that, that's only months ago, and he hadn't played properly. He hadn't. You know, I think he come on for a few minutes against Lithuania, maybe, and the hype was already starting. But then he started scoring goals for Brighton, and you're like, this lad. As an Irish football fan, right? Can I just call it out? What we're worried about is that we've another. I don't want to start naming names here, but we've another player who we are all on the hype train about, and it turns out that we are conditioned to believe that at some point the bubble is going to burst, right? Like, we've been here before. It's happened time and time again, and suddenly we're going to be like, oh, no. I don't think it's happened to a point where somebody has continued to score goals after the first breakthrough, where it hasn't just been a flash in the pan. Mm. You know, nobody has had it over a sustained period of time. And also, the thing about Ferguson is that he's already been injured and come back from injury. Like, he's already had the, the bits... And they're managing him properly. I, I definitely think that he should stay with Brighton for like as long as he possibly can. Mm. Uh, Brighton's well-run club. They obviously have a, a brilliant scouting system. Uh, they obviously know exactly how to work the, the global transfer market at the moment. And he should stay there until he is scoring 20 league goals a season. And at that point, the world is your oyster. But at that point as well, you're never going to a team to be a sub or not to be the number nine that they're buying to to win a league. Yeah. And look, he's obviously been brilliantly managed so far. Um, it's the reverse Cleveland oh. Kelleher experience, isn't it? It's like, yeah. I'll go to the the big club have, have been in for me, and that's not to, I'm not throwing shade at Cleveland Kelleher, it's a tough tough gig as a goalkeeper, there's only one gig going and that's it. Um, but it is the reverse. Uh, Evan Ferguson had that option, so like, and that's why I, I really appreciate the head that's on his, his shoulders and the people around him because Liverpool and Brighton were both in for him. And like, if you're a young kid from Bettystown and you're playing League of Ireland football and Liverpool come in for you, and yeah, Brighton come in for you, very hard not to go. Hundred percent. Now, you know, obviously, uh, maybe maybe he would be in the team at Liverpool and they wouldn't have spent all that money on uh, Darwin Nunez or whatever. Um, Shruti says OTB the least reactionary show. It's obviously you know tongue in cheek, but I would just, uh, just point out that we've been reacting like this. Mm-hmm. The whole way along, yeah. we've, we've been, been, ca- we've this- been carried away from the very start. We've yeah. been on the hype train a long time. <laughs> <laughs> we've been blowing this guy out of proportion yeah. since since he scored that um, league cup. Uh, was it league cup or the cup game against Forest Green? Mm. We've been aboard. Ah, he's just ridiculous. And the goals have been going from str- like, as you say, these are the types of goals that get noticed by because we, we've often been thinking: Are we shouting into an echo chamber here when it talk- comes to Evan Ferguson? Or are the English pundits and and, and uh, media still talking about him? But it turns out they are. They completely are. Um, so as you said, Jar, I hope he stays put for at Brighton for a while because so, the goals are just really starting to come now in a more regular fashion. Uh, Adrian, you've, you've done some work on this. I do my list. So I, I thought last night when I saw the goal, I thought, Jesus, he's scoring an unbelievable quality goal. And of course, Jar, I've been on panels before to select the goal of the year. I was on the Republic of Ireland panel um, a few years ago to select the Ireland goal of the year. Did we um, score three goals that year? It was slim pickings, I'm not going to lie. There was very slim pickings. It was like, um, oh, the under-12s. Yeah, it wasn't, uh, it, wasn't, it wasn't a long list, and it, w- it wasn't a list of quality. And so I started to think, well, his list of goals already is crazy. And I have eight here from his senior career. Um, I've included the Ireland one in the long list. Um, and just sort of, I, I think it's time to, you know, that's, that's the meat and the bones of taking stock of exactly where this guy is at and the quality goals. So, um, eight goals in total. That one against Forrest Green, which is a bit like last night, slides through the legs, uh, inside of the boot and past the keeper. His second goal was against Arsenal, the Premier League. Do you remember that? He bullied, uh, Saliba off the, off the ball, slides it under Ramsdale. Very cool, um, 
finish a different type of goal I think from Evan Ferguson the fourth goal um, takes up a great position but it's a tap in um, against Everton that was started January then it was that header do you remember that one against Leicester oh, yeah. uh, brilliant ball from wide in the left and another unseen run into the box and that header across the goalkeeper uh, back, pace, uh, back post run and a uh, tap in again but again it was all about the run of the position Matoma ball uh, that was against Stoke in the cup in February then there was Grimsby in the cup two weeks ago um, McAllister ball in sort of an awkward height manages to take it down great control great touch slots it away scores a second in the same game where he picks it up in the edge of the box and another like just quality neat finish there was a stab uh, the Ireland goal of course it was, I'm calling it a stab home after Obafemi puts it back in from the end line against Latvia and then last night. So from that, I'm going to give my 3-2-1 and I'm going to start um, with uh, number three, which I'm going for the his second goal, which was the one against Arsenal in the Premier League, um, where, as I said, he bullies sleeve off the ball under Ramsdale. Um, and it also gets in there because of the quality of the opposition that he's playing. So that's number three. In at number two, I'm going for last night's goal. Um, again, sneaking into that sort of unmarked position, ball across, uh, back to goal, um, which is a bit deceptive, I think, for defenders and for the goalkeeper, because you're going to think, well, he's got his back to goal, so at the very least he's got to take a touch, maybe take a turn, and he just deceives everybody all around him. And even the quality of the placing of the finish is off the charts. Um, and it wasn't needed to because he had already beaten the keeper, but the ball last night goes into the side netting. Yeah. Like, it's absolutely bonkers what the guy is doing. So that's number two. And number one on the list of Evan Ferguson goals so far, is that header against Leicester. Like, I wouldn't be... I find it hard to put a header at the top of the list, I'm not going to lie. Why? I just, I rather, there's something more satisfying about... Uh, so which header are you putting, sorry? Uh, the one against Leicester where... Late winner, uh, wasn't ball, it? ball wide in the left. Little unseen run into the box. He still had loads of work to do. Do you remember it was sort of that, like... Um, far corner, boom. Far corner, a little bit of power on a chain as you're demonstrating there. Uh, he had to go all the way across the goalkeeper as well. It was just an incredible goal. I'd, I'm not mad about giving a header, but... Are you really, like, a uh, backheel goal in the Premier League? Is that not, is that not automatically, like... I just think there was... there was the, 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 the position. His positioning is always brilliant. That's nearly a given now with Evan Ferguson. So, like, praising his position positioning nearly seems wrong, but his positioning for the header... And I just think he did so much work to do. It was a very satisfying goal to look at. And I totally take your point, and I, for the reasons that I've outlined particularly with the goal last night. I think anybody could score a header, right? Like, every centre-back in the world dreams of scoring a header, but none of them have the audacity or the brilliance to be able to go, yeah, I can just flick this back in, because I've done this, I've like I've scored this goal on FIFA a million times. There's no centre-back scoring it, that header, Joe. That is... Um, no, it's a different kind of header. I remember, I'm, I'm looking very at that header. It's a very, very good header. See, the thing is, the difficulty with... Uh, with <laughs> the difficulty with the Heasha State of Brighton is that he scored such a range of goals at this point mm. that you're like... So let's say Spurs sell Harry Kane. They're like, yeah, we're going to spend half the money we get for Harry Kane or maybe three quarters of the money that we get for Harry Kane and we're just going to buy a replacement. Like, mm. because he's scoring all those goals. Yeah. He's, he's not, like, it, it's absolutely true, right? He is scoring different types of goals all the time. There's not, like, one thing that you can say, well, this is an Evans... No, he's not a goal hanger. He's not like John Aldridge, which, I mean, obviously John Aldridge is absolutely sensational. And if he goes on to have the same career as John Aldridge, we'd be delighted. But... um, 
it's uh, it's a range. He makes a great habit of watching the goals last night back to back and uh, thank you uh, Brighton's YouTube channel for sticking them all together for me and lashing them up there. Um, watching the goals last night he makes a great habit of a really slow run if not even a walk at times into the box. Yeah. So when everybody is rushing to the end line where the wingers are pumping in and generally you see strikers making a mad dash to get in there slowly, slowly, slowly. And I think that's probably why a lot of defences uh, are not paying enough attention to I think, I think that's the point. They're, they're all so different. Like, if he threw all those goals up on LinkedIn, he'd have so many job offers, the kid. <laughs> and and the, the, the thing is, as well, he should have scored a second last night, probably. Yeah, uh, like, look, it's, not, it's obviously not the finished article. Uh, there was a, a, an easier chance later on in the game. and uh, Sonny March ball over, kind of leans back. Again, he's nearly on the penalty spot when yeah. he takes that. He's in the right position, I guess, so that's half the battle. But obviously the finish has to be there as well. But um, look, they go on to win Lean the game. Back slightly, Shane. Bit as too a striker, much. what you're, you'd be saying? You got to get over that, Evan. Ball, you know, here's me giving Evan Ferguson advice <laughs> on how to score goals. Uh, ridiculous. But no, like that sort of thing will come. You know, he, but we should be legitimately extremely. If we're not, I mean, we are already. But it's legitimate now. The excitement about this guy is legit. Mm. He's almost like in the developmental phase. Like when Robbie Keane was coming up, there was probably that little bit of hype as well. And then he got to the level where you're like, well, he's playing for the top clubs, he's scoring goals regularly. So we kind of, not that we stopped talking about Robbie Keane, but it just became normal. And we're still kind of in the in the remnants of that phase early on with Ferguson where it is developmental, we're, we're excited by every single goal, but it's going to get to the point, maybe six months, a year down the line, where an Evan Ferguson goal doesn't even make us blink. It's like the green in the teletext. Oh yeah, an Irish player scored. But that's the point where you know he's made it, when we stop getting excited about these goals. It's like, oh yeah, I Ferguson think, scored. I don't know if we're ever going to... It doesn't feel like a... Like, I'll still get a little bit of butterflies every but time. But it's been so score. long since Robbie Keane was doing it, you know? Yeah. Like, it's been so long that we've had, like, regular goal scorers. It's been so long that, like, I think there's probably a new era here where you're like, okay, this is not going to happen forever. <laughs> you know, like, uh, John Aldridge scoring goals and then... We had Nal Quinn for a while. And then you have Robbie Keane kind of feels like, well, that's just natural. We have strikers of that level and uh, it's not. It isn't We're, we're lucky to be alive right now. And I think to sort of remind ourselves, right, of uh, the, <laughs> the famine. Evan Ferguson had. makes us lucky to be alive. It's true, honestly. Do you ever think about that? Like the people that are, this is a very Columbuhig um, slot, but the people that make you... Delighted that you're living in this era. Usually, it'd be your family sports or your people. friends. Either no, I mean sports. Oh, there's penguins. Um, <laughs> anyway, sorry. What I was going to say was, what we should do just to remind ourselves. Like, I think at some point, the national broadcaster or Virgin, or maybe even ourselves, at some point over the next, let's say, like twice a year, we will rerun one of those like forty nil nils against Oman, and we should sit down as a nation and rewatch it. And then it just gives a new, fresh appreciation for what's to come. I think you're all right on that one. <laughs> Let's add it. Some, some ideas best left on the drawing board. You know the way there's like no bad ideas? <laughs> Sometimes there are, yeah. Uh, Holy God, says Connor Joyce. Uh, Brian King says, Clybert van Nistelrooy, calm down, lads. I'm just making the point that he's actually ahead of their schedule. So, uh, yeah. so I was looking up Clybert. Clybert was actually 18 when he makes his debut for Ajax and then goes on to top score in the area visit that year. So... Uh, fairly similar in terms of like but obviously Clivert's playing for Ajax which mm. has a 
team festooned with the best players I'm in, sorry, in their team. Relax yourselves, lads, in the comments, because I didn't say he's as good as Van Nistelrooy. I said there are elements of his game Better, that would remind, so. you, <laughs> well, he, would remind you of Van Nistelrooy. I'm not saying he's at the level yet. Well, Relax. He's, he's ahead of where Van Nistelrooy was at this age. At that age, yeah. I like, think that's, we, that's we're not allowed to get carried away with ourselves. Like, why are people... Yeah. What, this policing stuff Fun around sport, yeah. I just don't understand it. Get excited, like, come on. Uh, you're watching too much rugby, lads, says Andy. Mentioning him in the same sentence with a straight face as Van Nistelrooy, says Connor Joyce. Uh, what club does he support? Asks John Claffey. I have it in my mind that he's a United fan. I could be wrong about that. He's a United so. fan, is he? Yeah? Do we get that confirmed? Well, Colin is, is nodding his saying, head vigorously yeah, yeah. So, Like he knows. Which we'll ask. Uh, we'll ask. We, if we'll somebody had just done an interview with him recently, Joe, we could have, like, you know. Did you not ask him? I didn't ask him. No, no. It's, he'll right. just say Brighton, won't he? Uh, no. Well, uh, Man United, yeah. Right. A particular fondness for Wayne Rooney. Makes sense. Uh, the header versus Leicester was real quality, says Bruce Robert fan club. Uh, no centre back is doing that, says somebody else. Centre halves don't have. Where's it gone? Centre halves don't nestle a header in the corner from 14 yards, generating power while at it, says Bruce Robert fan club. I think some of them do. In fairness, like you know, you've seen you've seen Duncan Duffy do that, but like I'm not. I just think that the header was excellent, but a back heel goal, yeah, yeah, is like an all time. When he retires and they put him in the Premier League Hall of Fame. They'll be like, oh, this is... When he was 18, he scored this back his goal. It's outrageous. The audacity of it all. He'll, he'll, the thing is, the, looking at the quality of the eight goals that he scored last night and trying to draft that list of three goals, he is going to score some unbelievable goals for years to come. Mm. Now, I do enjoy the fact that we've sort of compared him on one hand to Ruth Van Nistelrooy and all the greatest strikers of all time. And then on the other hand, we've like uh, Duncan Duffy going on. It's uh, Measure measure yourself. Connor saying because we slag off the English for overhyping a player. But like, I mean, the English overhype every single player. We don't. We, we kind of do it in in small enough ways. We don't ha- overhype every single footballer, do we? Like Aaron Connolly was scoring Premier League goals, and we were excited at that point. But it yeah. wasn't like the, the, it was that one week. Yeah, that we do overhype players, but sure, what the hell about it? Like, yeah, fair enough. Seven fifty one this morning. Uh, you're watching OTBAM live with Gillette Labs. Got the ultimate shave or your money back neon night edition available now. Here's what's coming up between now and ten o'clock. We have uh, Gareth Roberts going to talk to us about Liverpool, Vinnie Perth. Going to preview the weekend of League of Ireland fixtures. John Douglas is going to preview the Masters at eight forty-five. It is Masters week for you. Uh, in the next hour after that, we have Maeve de Burke, former Ireland international, talking to us about the back-to-back fixtures against the United States. Uh, we'll also have uh, Kathy McAmey in studio for that one, and uh, we'll play some Donald Donald goodness from last night. So, uh, Leinster play Leicester on Friday evening. Adrian, um, what is your what is your level of fear slash excitement about this? Um, certainly more excited than fearful, I think. Um, you'd just be a little bit worried, wouldn't you, about what obviously happened last weekend. But in some ways then, when you kind of reflect from the cold light of day, like Leinster are that team who, they do, of course, score sort of coast-to-coast amazing tries at times, but there are times where they just slowly, your expression around this is wholly apt. They drag you into the deep water. And before you know it, you're sort of paddling around in the shallow stuff. You've got sunglasses on. You're... Go on. I stole that from Emmett Byrne. That's it's it. A, it's that's a great his, one. It's his it's line. Great one. You're paddling around, sun is shining, this is grand, we're all, this is, we're having a nice day out. And before you know it, you're a mile out to sea and your goose is cooked. And that was a little bit what happened, I think, against Ulster last weekend. Um, and yeah, I was interested to listen to Matt yesterday talking about, like, when he said, you know, there was months since these players have been on the pitch together in blue and that that 
has a factor into it. I bought that straight away and then I started to think about it a bit more and then I wasn't so sure because, like, obviously the vast majority was at 12 of them had been on the pitch against England a couple of weeks previous. Now, I look at it, I know there's a different dynamic and I know that Sexton is missing and maybe that's the biggest factor of all. Um, Ross Byrne is another week down the line and these games are going to benefit him in a big way. Um, Leicester, meanwhile, sort of... They might have been a bit hungover. Do you know? Leinster. Like, yeah, they might actually hung over literally in metaphorically uh, yeah 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 like they, they <laughs> did the dog been. on the celebrations for a while and it's just it's like also oh yeah we've got to play Ulster great an Ulster team we play all the time yeah and whereas I was just other, yeah. I was just there was like proper there was fireworks because we won the we won the thing yeah the thing but we're trying to win we won the only caveat to that right I think is that uh, Leinster will be Whatever about the URC this year, Leinster, I think, will um, drive over your granny to win the European Cup. I think that that's the um, underlying narrative around this Leinster team. And, like, there probably was a literal hangover from the Six Nations. I think that's absolutely reasonable to say. I do think that they're another uh, week away from that literal hangover. I think that they're another week down the line in terms of planning. Um, Ringrose looks like he's possibly back. Um, might come a little bit early for Doris. So... You know, little few more little pieces starting to fall into place, and Leicester are grand. Uh, there were four points up against Edinburgh at the weekend with twenty minutes to go, which is not a ringing endorsement of them. And they only they saw it out in the end by about ten points. Edinburgh, are one of the worst teams in the URC, so um, that doesn't uh, doesn't bode amazingly well. And I did see as well, by the way. I mean, I tend to get sort of slagged by you know the that tweet uh, from years ago. Years ago, George, you're uh, prone to bring up every now and then. Tell us the tweet, Jasper Jasper Vies. Um, the back row from Leicester has said this week that they're probably the best club team in the world. And, I mean, I'm not saying that he was like a few blocks of cheese and a few glasses of wine into a nice, uh, <laughs> nice evening out at the Aviva Stadium, as I was uh, some years ago. But uh, After after a URC game. Uh, that was a URC final. Pro, Pro 14 as it was. Final. Yeah. Um, so, yeah. And also, interestingly, I saw this week, I don't know if anybody's noticed, uh, James Cronin, um, former Munster front row playing for Leicester now um, was out obviously you know put this guy out in the media this week because he'll have some good stuff to say mm. um, was saying that there are busloads I'm going to slightly reword this um, busloads of Munster fans coming up to support Leicester this weekend that's not right is it? it is yeah it should be well, I don't should, think it should oh no no it should be yeah, of course but right. is it, are they actually going to do it? yeah why not? I think if I think if you're James Cronin family or friend that's absolutely fine get your Leicester gear on and on up you come but if you're just a Munster fan who's coming up the road to try and layer it into Leinster yes shame on you why? because like support you were you were literally a couple of weeks ago no. down the Aviva or at home in your TV watching the game shouting on these players and now you're going to be like yeah. cheering on an English team yes. against an Irish team yes come on that's, a, that's, that's how sport works no. you half and half scarf merchants I'm okay with the half and half. No, 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 no. If you're a kid, fair enough. No, no, no. But you yeah. want you absolutely want your nearest rivals to be slaughtered every time they play. Otherwise, you're not a real fan. I just think. You know, would you go to the effort of going to the game to, to actively yeah. support against them? Well, if, you, if, if, if you've got the slightest excuse and you've got James Cronin there, like, oh, Cronin, there, right? Go on, you should have been in the Ireland team. Wasn't that the case a few years ago? Do you remember Munster when when Munster used to think that they had a possibility of getting to a Heineken Cup final and they'd all book tickets for was it Glasgow or something like that? I can't quite remember. And anyway, was it the Leinster Leicester game actually? And Leinster ended up there and they all put on the opponent's jersey and um went over and supported the opponent. I just think that's mean spirited um I think it's and a bit hypocritical. I think it's exactly what you should be doing. If if the rivalry is a proper rivalry between like I, I, I don't know what other teams you support, right? 
but like uh, were you were you up for me after when when Desi Dolan missed the free oh, yeah. right which we were talking about last week with Conor Moore mm-hmm. if you haven't seen Conor Moore's you had to be there you need to get on that by the way Amazing. Um, you weren't cheering for me for the rest of the year then when they went on because if you were there's like a little bit of you know. Well, it's a slightly different dynamic, right? Syndrome. Like if me were to, if there was some sort of, if it was a world like the baseball uh, thing, you know, the, a world championship, and me were to go, go on to take on like um, Gillingham. If me were to play like a combination of the old Soviet Union and Chairman Mao, <laughs> you would be you'd, you'd still be up for Chairman uh, Mao. It's it's you're not, you, you don't raise an unreasonable point, but I did have a weird relationship with me then that I used to love that team of the. Um, 90s and the 80s you're just being nice to them you you wouldn't have gone to the games though if Meath had a game to win an All-Ireland semi-final against you know a Tyrone or something you wouldn't go to the match and act on a Tyrone jersey well I I think that like if if you're just a massive sports fan and like there's there's very few opportunities for you to see this type of one the tickets are affordable two they're available right which is not the case for Six Nations games or for November internationals and so you know it's big time you're going to get to show your kids the, the Grand Slam winning team and ideally from your supporters culture's perspective you see the team get beaten I think there's nothing wrong with this and if Munster were busting loads of people up to cheer for you know I think that would be a totally fine thing to do the, the teams are supposed to be at each other's throats that's how you drive standards that's how you drive fan culture and that's this is for me it, it all comes back to the we're just going to take a bunch of kids from Leinster and we're going to transplant them into Munster and it doesn't work because it, it actually washes away parts of this bit where you're supposed to be trying to slit each other's throats in a professional sense mm, I, don't, I don't the GA comparison I'm not having and I just think that uh, just something very mean-spirited about it. and also like you're bringing your kids up to go we need to hate this shower and the kid is like I know but like we're, we've knocked out we're not playing them what, why are we sitting there hating them like I mean we can we can have rivalry against them and we should hope to beat them whenever we beat them because then it's not a real rivalry well it's not really a real rivalry anyway well then that's the problem and that's going to hold us back forever sorry by the way I, I'm not against obviously Munster fans are going to be supporting Leicester uh, on, on Friday night but the point is actually physically buying your ticket getting up from Limerick or the depths of Kerry or Cork wherever it is and going to support Leicester that takes effort you being an Ulster fan Shane who will you be supporting at the weekend well see I think the the weird chippy Ulster relationship always meant that the team representing Ulster got the support of the province in GEA when they came down south it was like we're going to kill each other but I think Tyrone and Armagh changed that a bit. I think the Armagh crowd found it very difficult to cheer for Tyrone. And were the Galway fans always cheering for Mayo in all Ireland finals? No, definitely not. So were they actively supporting whoever it was? I would say so, yeah. Right, so what's wrong with that? What's the difference there? Nothing's wrong with that, but they wouldn't go to the matches. Well, with, you, with the there's loads on. of them. Yeah, there's the, loads jersey on. There's the jersey on thing, you made that up, right? That's just, <laughs> yeah, well, you just, you just, that, was, and loads of them would go to the games because it's an All Ireland semi final and final, and you're just, yeah. a, you're just a fan. So you're absolutely going to those games. But like yeah, loads okay. of people are, and if you live in Dublin and it's easy for you to go, you're absolutely going to the game. There's, I think there's nothing wrong with this. Nothing wrong, but, but there, you, that's an inter Ireland rivalry as well. Yeah. I think that when you bring this is that's what this is an inter Ireland rivalry. No, but I'm talking about the Leinster Leicester game. Yeah, but you're asking me, right? You're as an, uh, someone from Ulster, who are you supporting? I want Irish players to experience as much winning this year as as is possible. If the, if Leinster can go all the way in the Champions Cup, which I think they will, then. 
I'd love all to the better for Ireland later this year in the World I Cup. I don't think there's a single Munster fan who wants Leinster to win their fifth star and rub it into them. I, 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 you're mad. You're absolutely mad if you think but, but there are Munster fans out there. Them. To be honest, like, look, I, I, I'm, not saying, I'm not saying anything controversial by saying that the, it's not it's not really a playing rivalry at the minute. The, the results will just tell you that. That's not trying to rally anybody up. It's not like um, some sort of an outrageous statement. I don't think that that's where Munster fans are at right now. I think that that ship has sailed for now. Hopefully it comes back. And in the meantime, they're they're just delighted for our Grand Slam boys to keep on winning and preventing. Delighted about it, but I just think supporting the opponent is such. It can benefit Ireland later in the year, Jer. Uh, including Munster fans we'll all, they'll be as happy as anyone if Ireland can win a World Cup <laughs> they, they won't they'll be complaining about the lack of Munster representation which we've just seen <laughs> anyway I'd love to hear from the Munster fans uh, Leinster or Leicester this weekend who you got folks you can text us 0879180180 you can uh, leave a WhatsApp on that if you want or you can get in our YouTube comments right now Team Munster Team Leicester Team Leinster who are you for uh, right uh, up next, we're going to be talking with Gareth Roberts about the situation in Liverpool. In the meantime, in the ad break, you're going to hear the latest from the football pod where Paddy James and Tommy talked about Conor Callaghan's influence. The football pod is in partnership with AIB, proud sponsors of the Football Hurling and Camogie All-Ireland Club Championships. Check out the hashtag, the toughest, for more. OTB AM. The Sports Breakfast Show from Off the Ball. Right, it's uh, four minutes past eight. Gareth Roberts is with us to talk about the situation at Liverpool at the moment. Um, Gareth, it's not getting any better fast, is it? It's not, no. Um, it's it's an absolutely grim season. There's no there's no way of painting it any differently, really. 14 defeats now in all competitions, obviously on a run currently of uh, four games without a win. Um, you sort of have to take a draw, I think, away at Chelsea, which is, I think, what we saw Jürgen Klopp do after the game, sort of, you know, trying to look for positives, trying to say that's a small step in the right direction. But I think even the most rabid Reds would would watch that last night and say, well, Liverpool got away with one a little bit. Obviously, the two goals choked off. Uh, but, you know, Chelsea have much the better chances in the game. Um, obviously, there are a lot of changes to the team last night and that's going to affect the performance. But... You know, it's on the back of a terrible performance at Manchester City and a terrible season full stop. And I think the biggest thing for me, lads, is that, you know, we're all looking for a turnaround here in Liverpool. You know, certainly Reds, obviously. Um, I've just been having a look at the results before I come on air. And all season long, the best run Liverpool have been on in all competitions is three wins in a row. Um, And that came back in October. So that was Rangers. Uh, when we won 7-1 away at Rangers, beat Man City 1-0 at home, beat West Ham uh, 1-0 at home. The following game, they lost to Nottingham Forest. (laughs) And that's sort of the story of the season. You know, to only be able to string three wins together in a full season is not the Liverpool we know and love. Terrible season, as I say. It's it's the lack of consistency, Gareth, isn't it? Because it felt like that that, that 7-0 win against Manchester United was... A turning point in many ways. You, th- you thought, right, things are starting to click here in, in, uh, across the course of 90 minutes. But then you have the Bournemouth game. You lose th- the, the following three yeah. games, albeit two of those are against Madrid and City. But it's just the lack of consistency generally that is the most disappointing thing. Yeah, 100%. Um, and, and, and there just seems to be a lot of things wrong. Um, you know, the mentality, the the fitness levels, the, the, the lack of physicality. Um, you know, just, just you know, you're just seeing hunched shoulders and heads going down so easy, so quickly. Um, you know, the slow starts, the second halves, which we saw at, at Manchester City again. You know, there seems to be a lot 
to put right. And, and you know, you think about who's going to leave in the summer as well. Um, there's going to be a lot of a lot of flux at Liverpool, a lot of change at Liverpool, not just on the pitch as well. I mean, we we, we obviously know that. You know, the behind the scenes, there are there are people leaving. Julian Ward, um, who was Michael Edwards' replacement, that's still up in the air. So, you know, Oxlade Chamberlain, Keita, Milner, Firmino will all be leaving. There are other players that you could say Liverpool will be looking to sell based on, you know, how they perform this season. There are other players on the periphery who you wonder what their futures are. You know, we saw Curtis Jones last night, but that's only his third start in the Premier League this season. Uh, only eight appearances in the Premier League all told. So, you know, what does the future hold for him? He didn't exactly pull up trees last night to suggest, you know, he's staying around either, perhaps. So there's there's so much so much up in the air, and you, you know you look at the league table, Liverpool eight at the moment, but Brentford playing tonight. If they get a draw, they go above Liverpool, so Liverpool then down to ninth, of course. So you know seven points off four, ten games to go. If I'm really you know scrambling around for some kind of positive, it's that of those ten games, six are at home, and Liverpool have been much better at home than the other way. You know, you know, we all know by now that that's where Liverpool's real problems are. And, you know, Liverpool have been performing as they should really at Anfield. You know, they're the third best team at home in terms of Premier League results this season. But, you know, away from home, they're the 12th best team. And that shows you the real disparity how they performed in Liverpool and on the road. Why do you think they're so inconsistent? I mean, like I said a second ago, really... The, there just seems to be a lot of reasons. What one thing that you know, I was thinking again watching Chelsea, watching the Chelsea game last night is they're just so easy to play through, so easy to get through. Now, is that is that the the midfield, which is a lot of people are blaming? Is that the age of midfield, the midfield, the lack of legs in midfield, the lack of a consistent lineup in midfield? Probably. Um, but what sort of you know, confused me a little bit, worried me a little bit, is I, I kind of think if you're in a bit of a rut, which Liverpool have been many times this season and are currently in one again, you know, shouldn't you be doing something slightly different with the setup and the tactics to say, first and foremost, lads, let's be solid. Um, and Liverpool haven't been that, you know, the sort of, the machine is broken down, if you like, the system hasn't looked right, hasn't worked and so then isn't it up to the coaching staff a little bit to say, let's settle for being solid first and foremost. Let's be hard to score against, hard to beat and build from there. And yet, whatever lineup we see, particularly on the road, it just doesn't look like that. You know, I went to Manchester City at the weekend and I didn't expect anything other than what, what we got, really. Um, you know, I was pleasantly surprised, obviously, to go 1-0 up. And, and I just think... I just think sometimes with them as well, that you know, you can see the lack of confidence. I thought against City at times, we caused Man City problems. And you, the way we were causing them problems were feeding balls into the forwards, the forwards turn and running at Manchester City, showing some confidence, showing some belief. And when they did that, City looked, you know, looked a little bit worried. But they didn't do that enough. Too many times the balls were safe or they were coming back again or they putting themselves under pressure. So there's, you know, it, it's a huge collective mental problem, I think, now. And I, d I don't know how you suddenly press a huge reset button in the summer other than you now bring in significant numbers of, of new players. And that's what most Liverpool fans are now calling for. That's what I'm calling for, too. 
And I suggest that's probably what Jürgen Klopp is calling for behind the scenes. I mean, he said in a press conference the other day, didn't he, that you know, we will spend in the summer. What that spend is on and how many it's on, he wouldn't reveal. But, you know, I think most of us Liverpool fans are, are saying it needs a good few now. You know, two or three in midfield, uh, maybe, a, you know, some one or two in defence, two now as well. So, yeah, there's there's a lot of work to be done now at Liverpool. And I don't really think, you know, you can sort of say we can rely on this group again and it's just a little sprinkle of of, of something in the transfer market. This is major surgery now. One of the things that's been clear is that Klopp has been, obviously a lot of managers got sacked and so he gets asked about it and he answers the questions mm. and he, he's very open about it. But he keeps saying that like, if it wasn't for all the trophies, I would have been fired by now or I wouldn't be around here if it wasn't for the success we've had. And, and look, it's a very straightforward, honest answer. It's just that I can't remember him talking before about not being at the club as like part of the mm. answer. It just it, it's a, Maybe I'm reading too much into it, but it's a subtle enough shift in the use of language, it seems. Yeah, I know what you're saying. And I think as well, you know, we all do it, don't we? Perhaps we shouldn't. But if you look at the body language of Klopp, if you look at just him, um, you know, he he, he looks um, like this is getting to him. And I'm sure it is because, you know, he's a passionate man. He's passionate about his football. And that's one of the reasons we've loved him at Liverpool all this time. Um, You know, he's brought success to Liverpool. He's finally broke that duck of not winning um, the title. Um, and he will be forever loved at Liverpool, however the rest of, of his career here unfolds. But, you know, you can't help but worry. You know, if you're putting everything down on paper, you're having a good think about it. You're looking at the results across the course of the season. You're looking at the squad. You're wondering what might happen next season. You're looking at all the other clubs who are Liverpool's potential rivals. And they're now there are now more of them, obviously, because Newcastle are on the scene. Newcastle will spend again. You know, there's no guarantees even next season that Liverpool are right up back in the mix really because Liverpool can't control what the other clubs are going to do and again I don't you know Jürgen Klopp's an intelligent man I'm sure he knows all that Um, and so what he's saying yeah it is a little bit depressing to hear really that he's saying well we've we've got to think about history we've got to think about the past otherwise maybe I'd be gone as well I think you've got to say that you know if if we have another season like this one you know the support for him will dissipate both, both inside the club and in terms of fans and look we all want to say as fans that we are right behind the manager we love the manager I am right behind the manager and I do love the manager but ultimately you know Liverpool are a big club they expect to be up there they expect to be challenged and things and when they don't and when you know it looks like they fell off a little bit of a cliff which they have this season if, if, if the same if it repeated again next season of course the manager's job will come into question no matter who he is Gareth, I was interested to see how many changes Jurgen Klopp made to the team last night. Like six in all, I know the yeah. Van Dijk one was, was enforced, but Jimmy Carragher did a very interesting piece of analysis the other night in, in which he pointed out Andy Robertson getting pulled out of position almost by Riyad Mahrez at the weekend. Um, was, was dropping Trent Alexander-Arnold and Robertson a statement, do you think, by Klopp, or is that is that reading too much into it? I think I think it, you know it could have been a little bit. Maybe it is a little rocker for the pair of them. Maybe it's as simple as they're just you know they're tired physically and mm-hmm. mentally, which I would say they definitely are. Um, I think a lot of people have been saying for a while that perhaps you know even just deep down in the psyche, not some kind of cocky thing, not some kind of problem, but you know perhaps there is a comfort zone for those two in that they know they're getting picked every week because they've been so brilliant for Liverpool. They've hit the levels for so long. They've been so central to Liverpool winning the trophies that I mentioned before. So, you know, maybe 
because when people say you can get comfortable because you know you're getting picked every week, I think people think of that as a really negative thing, right? You know, almost, oh, the attitude stinks and it's because he's a footballer and he's on loads of money. But just just like I'm, I'm saying more deeper in the psyche, something you're almost not aware of, like, well, I'll be in next week anyway. So maybe there is a little bit of that to say, well, no, there isn't just, well, maybe next week anyway, I'm dropping you now. You're not at your level. You know, it would enable them to have a little bit of a chat with the pair of them maybe and say, you know, well, if we need to look at your your performances, you know, how easy it was for Manchester City at the weekend and things like that. Because, you know, you you mentioned Roberts on one side, obviously Trent the other didn't exactly cover himself with glory in that game either. And that's been a little bit of a pattern. So, yeah, I, I think... Um, a statement, maybe not, but just maybe an opportunity more to be able to speak to the pair of them and, and an opportunity for them to rest ahead of the weekend because, you know, given the, the disparity in the records of home and away, like I said before, you know, bizarrely, I think, you you know, I fancy Liverpool at the weekend and I heard, you, I heard Jamie Carragher say something similar, I think, on, on Monday night and felt like, you know, Gary Neville was ridiculing him a little <laughs> bit. But um, Liverpool's record at home, as I said earlier, you know, that, that backs the idea that they could potentially do something. And, and, you know, and that is where they beat Manchester United 7-0. That is where they beat Manchester City 1-0. You know, they've been pretty good at home. There's only sort of Leeds United, uh, which was a, a terrible game back in October. And obviously, Real Madrid, who've, who've, who've come and won there. So, you know, I think Arsenal will fear it a little bit. Arsenal haven't had the greatest record at Anfield. And even though they're flying and going for the title, I think it'll be a tough game for them on Sunday. The players who got dropped last night, do they all come back straight into the team given the quality of performance from their replacements wasn't at the level that it would need to be for everybody to be worried? Is it, um, or, or is the whole point of dropping them that they don't automatically get back in? I think maybe the point was was that some, some of them show, some of them do something, some of them, you know, put a bit of a marker down, but I didn't think it was a great performance at all. Um it was just, it was a terrible watch, I thought, you know, so for all the neutrals, I'm sure they didn't particularly enjoy that game. It was just sort of two blunt objects smashing into each other, really, for for most of the 90 minutes. Um, and, I, you know, I don't think there was anyone really there, it, it, starting in the Liverpool side, you, you can say, put in this superb performance and has now twisted the manager's arm off his back, it, you know, ready for Sunday. I think, um, you know, it, it's just back to square one. Uh, picking the best side. Obviously, got he's got a little bit more time now to maybe do something with them and maybe then show a reaction as well on the training ground now because obviously it was such a quick turnaround from City at the weekend to this game last night against Chelsea. You know, there's almost nothing you can do there if you factor in travel and rest and stuff like that. So I think that was maybe one of the reasons for the changes as well. I, th- I think he's just looking for Liverpool to be fresh again, the, the first the first team that we expect to pretty much see, um, and, and, and to go at Arsenal, to be more like the Liverpool of old, to, to pressure Arsenal um, and to make it difficult for them. And, you know, it's a, it's a, a late afternoon game. Uh, they tend to be good atmospheres at Anfield as well, which, you know, I will always bang the drum to say those things play a part. So, yeah, I expect a different performance on Sunday from Liverpool to what we saw last night and what we saw last weekend. Are we entering a situation now where in the summer uh, there's nobody that could be sold where the Liverpool fans would be like, oh, you can't do that. So if if Salah gets sold, if Virgil gets sold, 
maybe Allison might be the only one who everybody would be like, hang on a second, what are you doing here? But other than that, mm. it, it feels like there's there's a window of opportunity here for everybody to be sold and Liverpool fans will be like, well, we just have to do something. Yeah, I mean, I, I think that, you know, the opportunity to go a little bit left field with it is certainly there. And, and yeah, you make a valid point. I mean, I, I don't think people would be happy to see Salah go. Um, but, you know, obviously, the, he still managed to score a significant number of goals this season, albeit that he's not quite hitting the levels we've seen him hit in the past. But that's probably more down to the collective than the individual. But, you know, the surgery is such that is needed, like I mentioned before, that, you know, if a huge offer came in for Salah and he's 30 years old, let's remember, then maybe there is an argument there to say, well, this is how we're going to get back to where we were. This is how we're going to hit those levels again. And obviously Liverpool did something similar with Coutinho, went and reinvested that money. And then that, you know, that led to a period that, you know, Liverpool fans will will, will look lovingly at for a long time. So, you know, yeah, I think there's, I think there's no player really, apart from the ones that have come in, obviously, you know, the likes of, you know, Nunes, Diaz, um, Gakpo, the likes of those players. Obviously, that that is the next Liverpool. I mean, people keep keep saying, you know, about a rebuild. A rebuild is already happening. You know, there are already players in that will be part of, you know, Liverpool Mark II under, under Klopp, if you like. But even players, you know, you mentioned Salah. I mean, you look at Fabinho, you know, to suggest even, you know, a year or so ago that he could be someone that could leave. I think you'd be ridiculed for it. But now I think most Liverpool fans would say, well, based on his performances, based on how far the drop-off appears to have been with him this season, you wouldn't bank against him, um, you know, leaving in the summer as well. When you think about Liverpool challenging on, on four fronts last year, Gareth, compared to this, how much of that rests on the doorstep of FSG? Because there's all this talk now that they're going to really, really backclop this summer and invest heavily mm. in the squad. Is it almost too little too late? Because clearly this season, so much was expected and so little was delivered. Like, how much rest on the owners? Yeah, plenty. Um, I think, you know, we, I mentioned before that, you know, Klopp's an intelligent man and, and, you know, the owners are intelligent people too. And, you know, the idea that you couldn't sort of see some of this coming. I mean, you know, Liverpool fans have been banging the drum for midfielders, you know, for a long, long time. We know investment in midfield for a significant amount of time now. Um, you know, it's a similar situation really to, you know, the COVID season where, you know, Liverpool are doing a bit of a supermarket sweep to try and get a defender in. You know, Liverpool were doing the same again, getting our tour in. Now, I don't know how bad he is in training, but he's not he's not getting anywhere near the team. He's on the bench again last night. It's clear that he's not hit any kind of level. He's not proved to be any use. He's been injured as well. Um, and, you know, his injury record suggested that that could happen. So again, they've gone and got someone in that they probably didn't really want. That wasn't really on any lists. So why didn't they get someone in that was on a list? Um, you know, I, I think there's been plenty of hints from things Klopp said publicly that, you know, he's not happy about that. Um, I worry as well about, you know, a little bit of a brain drain in terms of Edwards leaving. And then, you know, why is Ward looking to go so soon? He's been linked with a number of jobs. and It could be as simple as that, but could it just be, you know, the bailing out while the going's good, if you like, because they can see what's coming in the post. Um, I, I don't understand the lack of investment in the team. I, I, I would think you should be looking to invest from a position of strength. Uh, what they've done now and the way it's been left is they made it more difficult for everyone involved. So, OK, invest in the summer. But as plenty of people are po- pointing out, if, you know, if you finished eighth or ninth in the league, 
the settle isn't quite as good as if you're in the Champions League, obviously. Now, it's still Liverpool Football Club and it's not going to collapse overnight and it still has the record, it has the history, it has the manager it's got, the fans, all of those, you know, appeal points, if you like. Um, you know, it's going to be a bigger stadium soon as well to make that atmosphere even better. But I'm sure there will be players and agents out there who'll just say, well, that's not right for you. And the other problem is maybe that, you know, if the players we've got there that we would like to keep, because you mentioned, you know, who wouldn't you sell? Is, is there a possibility that players start knocking at the door now of Klopp and saying, oh, what is the plan? Yeah. 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 What is the plan? How do we get back up there now? Because the, the plan doesn't look that great now, does it? And and, and so unless, you know, we're all, we're all, we've got everything, you know, we're, we've all got everything crossed. We're all praying that there is something in the Bellingham links but equally, it's easy to sell a story where you think, well, why would he come? Yeah. Given what the other offers are likely to be for him. We've got to leave so it there. We, you know, yeah, we're all waiting to see for the summer, aren't we? Gareth, good stuff. Great to have you with us again. Thanks a million. Cheers. Cheers, lads. That's Thank Gareth you. Roberts there, Liverpool podcaster. OTBAM with Gillette Labs. Got the ultimate shave or your money back. Neon Night Edition is available now. Uh, Vinnie Perth standing by to talk League of Ireland. We've got Dan McDonald first talking about the Harry Kane incident. Back next. Cheating golf is not the norm. To cheat in football or to, to do what Kane did is the norm. And therefore, so I, don't, position. I don't think it's an outrage. I don't think it's a, oh, come on, this is a disgrace. No, I think that is the cost of doing business and that is the environment in which he's part of. So I think to suddenly do, I, I really agreed with Neville when he said, Jamie, now you're in your suit and you're, come on, you know what you were like as a player. You know what it's like out there. I thought that was the salient yeah. point. Yeah. So like, who who is anyone in football really to say with Harry Kane I'm pearl clutch I, I just can't I can't believe I've seen Harry Kane do that it's an outrage come on well the thing is like surely would like the point is with VAR now you don't like, need to like if he just reacted in the natural if, if it's true that he did get an, a nail in the eye yeah. well then yeah, I can imagine you would go away and go god and draw attention to it um, he's a pre-VAR man he was, he was schooled <laughs> in the days where he had he's, to go he's down. old school yeah like, he, he had to go down he's old school cheating yeah so maybe maybe we were wondering on the news round would the um the newer generation in the VAR who've always had VAR to rely on they don't have to go down anymore maybe, maybe it will stop <laughs> it's just like you know, pointing to, to like a, a sort of an imaginary camera in the distance uh, when they feel pain oh, yeah I'm not so sure it was yeah, uh, definitely caught the imagination right 25 minutes past 8 Vinnie Perth is with us Vinnie good morning team good morning how are we doing um, we should start with Rovers uh, because it was important that they finally click Stephen Bradley was saying that he knew the performances had been good up to this and that the difference was that they were actually taking their chances last week against Sindok. Was the difference not that um, they didn't have a man sent off and the opposition did, though? Uh, I suppose the, the answer is yes. I, I, to be honest with you, the first 25 minutes of Dundalk were probably the better side, to be fair. Dundalk played uh, quite well. Then the sending off changed the game, albeit Rovers were winning at that stage. Um, so it's one of them where um, I've been saying for a while I think Rovers have playing, been playing really really well but ironically up until the sending off I think Dundalk were playing the better and I see basically I think to sum it up Dundalk have played better this year and and or played worse and, and won and Rovers have played better and lost or dropped points so it was just a, it was a strange game descending off 
changed it to a point but to be fair to Shamrock Rovers they were winning 1-0 at that stage There is a possibility that we look back on the early part of the season where Rovers had those sending offs and difficult results and it just looks completely out of character for the rest of the year and a a season can turn so quickly where they had no confidence because they weren't getting results even though the performance was good and now off the back of this they score four and a, a dam is broken yeah, it feels that way. I also think the the, the bench the other night was Gannon, Lopez, Finn, Watts, Burke, Aaron Green and young lad Poom, who's who looks a hell of a good player. And they, they've left him out in a couple of away games because against another league. So they had a real strength and depth. It felt like it was a it was a real, as you said, the dam opened the other night. It felt the, the real Rovers are back to me watching the game. Now, I was watching it back after the result, uh, but it felt like it was a real sort of statement performance and result and I would say I, I, I think they'll kick on from here I'll be a difficult game this week but I think they'll kick on from here and um, um, yeah just looked they looked a real deal for me on, on Friday in terms of um, how they won the game they've been threatening that though haven't they Like they, they, they just, as Stephen Bradley said after the match they just took their chances for the first time like they, they've had games where maybe they could have had decent wins but just couldn't put the ball in the net, in the net. Yeah, the, the only thing I'll say is, um, to be fair to Dundalk, they weren't. They were down to ten men, and then once that happened, and Dundalk had Pahoven uh, missing through injury late late in the day, so they weren't overly tested because of the, the two of those uh, issues. So we'll see. It looks like they, I feel they've turned the corner. I said they would, and I ho- um, in many ways, you sort of hope they would. They're the, they're the best side in the league, I think. So um, it looks like they've, they've turned the corner, but. Look, they have conceded four against Cork. They have had men sent off. And it's hard to argue with some of those decisions as well. They have misperformed at times. They have let Pats into a game where they should have won it comfortably. Uh, they have let Derry beat them in, in Tallaght as well. So they have opened the door for other teams. And um, it's, made a, it's made for a better league, I think. Definitely. But, yeah. It definitely and, and has. So, if it had so been possession at this stage, it would have been, you know, obviously Bowles and Rovers is always going to sell out. But like yeah. it's now, it, now it's on version. And... Yeah, there's a big game feel about it. Yeah, yeah, and it's it's really important for the league that it would be great if Rovers put in a good performance for the league and still don't win this game, just so that everybody's like, oh, there's going to be a long form like reason to focus yeah. on this, and it's not going to be a procession. Yeah, and I think it's I think it's crucial that um, every opportunity we get to showcase the league. Like uh, uh, sometimes I'm critical because it's very easy to be everything is great in the league it's brilliant it's fine it's great I think some people are guilty of that um, um, I think we've got to call out what we see um, just because grounds are selling out at four and a half five thousand like there's still so many parts of a game to improve and we all know like I was in Tolka Park the other night so Derry City fans and I've, I've said it before they're brilliant away fans to sit beside and listen to them they, they travelled for three, three and a half hours. They stood on an open... And anyone that was in around Dublin on Friday night, they stand on an open terrace and effectively uh, you could have had a, a, a fire hydrant hose poured on top of their head. That's how bad the rain was and they stood there for two or three hours. We have to improve all of that stuff. So this is another chance to showcase our, our game. Um, Rovers are, are the pinnacle of it at the moment in terms of the last... Uh, in terms of what they have, in terms of their squad, their ground, other teams, and, and balls are well on the way of, of catching them off the pitch as well. So um, I just hope it's a great night. I hope it's, as you said, really good performance. And um, a lot of these games have been just to, to, to sort of bring it up. A lot of these games over the last few years, 
a referee's decision has been crucial in it so that's what I hope doesn't happen this week Tuffer has been talking about the referees we, we talk about that in a minute right but how do the two teams match up like uh, Styles make fights yeah um, I, I think it's 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 perfect the Rovers will play the normal system with their sort of 3-5-2 whatever way you want to call that with probably Gaffney up front with uh, Johnny Kenny who who's starting to find his feet Johnny Kenny 21 international at Celtic a lot of Irish players have really struggled, struggled at Celtic but Johnny Kenny has really really impressed me since he's come back and he's playing week in week out his movement for young players interested in, in football his movement off the ball is exceptional um, he goes in behind a lot and it's something that you say to young players go and watch Evan Ferguson whatever you know English players but sometimes when there's one in front he's staring at you I think it's important that people can watch him so he, he's been excellent Gaffney will cause balls a lot of problems he operates up front but dry, falls into that sort of left position and Rovers are really strong in the middle but uh, I've been saying it here for a while I think Bowles recruitment particularly in centre midfield has been really good. Um, um, McManus in midfield looks a hell of a good player. Uh, Adam McDonald has given him huge energy in there. I imagine Flores has been wasn't playing the other day. Uh, I don't know what the injury is. If he makes it, um, and um, obviously Bourke needs to uh, um, uh, come back into that sort of uh, midfield for them. So. I think I think the midfield area is crucial for balls, so that's where the win and losing the game is. Uh, we spoke about Johnny Afalabi a yeah. couple of weeks ago. He's really hit form. He looks like one of those strikers who's really frustrated because he wants to score more goals, mm. but he's playing exceptional and giving them a real sort of platform. And one sort of player to watch has that bit of magic, particularly in big games, is Ali Coote on Friday. His, his form has been exceptional for balls, and he could cause... Rovers a lot of problems. You mentioned Poom as someone who hasn't been put in by Bradley for the for away games. Understandably, I guess, as you say, trying to get used to the league. But a lot of the new signings, and I think we spoke about this earlier in the season as well. He wasn't throwing them into the big games because he was like, "Well, let them sit in the, sit in the bench and watch." Is yeah. that still something that Stephen Bradley's kind of sticking to? Uh, I think I think there's a, a couple of things. Yeah, I think he has done that a little bit with Poom. But someone like Richie Tao went up to. Uh, Oreo Parkham was really, really good. It, Richie Tell played uh, against um, uh, Shelbourne at that time away in Tolka and what was a heavy pitch. So mm. there, there has been certainly um, there's certainly a bit of you know horses for courses. Yeah. Again, the, the pitches at the moment, some of them are difficult to play on. Uh, Tolka the other night, obviously the heavens opened up, but Tolka the other night was really difficult and um, uh, so. Yeah, it is horses for courses. That's why um, I said Bork for balls a minute ago. What I meant was Buckley. Jesus, uh, but keep Buckley coming back into the balls team yeah. is like horses for courses. You could see he's been on the bench the last week or two. I think he's had a bit of an injury. You could see Declan Vine bringing him into that team, and mm. there is a little bit of that. And um, people know the league, know the atmosphere, so he'll probably will go again with, with sort of the League of Ireland players. I know, obviously, it's a it's a derby and all the fire and passion that that brings. But is there a little bit of Bowes that is thinking, yeah, draw suit us fine, and does that seep into decision making on the pitch? Um, how do you prevent that? Because like, I'll tell you how you prevent it. Bowes play Rovers on Friday and Derry on Monday. I think if they've two positive results, a win and one of them in a draw, or whatever, I think you have to almost say with quarter of the season gone, they could do a Leicester City and win a league title. So. It depends on your aspirations as a club and the manager. And I think if he sets out his team, go and win this game. Well, the rest could be history. So it is a it is a big moment for them to say, uh, "We can do this." We can do this. Yeah. And I think 
I think it's not like you know in many ways uh, Rovers are the Man City of League of Ireland but they're not that far ahead that a team can't come from the pack and catch them and, and overtake them and I'd like to think that's the mindset of I get the impression that's the mindset of Declan I know him don't know him that well but I know of him he's worked in around Derry and uh, yeah I'd like to think he's thinking if we get four points out of the, the weekend we could go and win the league title and why it, not it, the way the league fixtures have put them up against uh, Rovers and Derry in over Easter it's like you know these are big 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 games yeah yeah. but like to be honest with you as a coach as a manager as a player what a weekend ahead of you if you know you, you no matter what you're a league of one player you're losing your Easter weekend well then what's the second prize playing Rovers on a Friday and Derry on a Monday it's not bad how important is it that the game is on Virgin that like there's an opportunity here if it goes well and there's a bit of sport now look it, it is a bank holiday and so I don't know what the viewership figures are going to be like but um, yeah and I, I think look I think the viewer figures aren't overly important in many ways because you've also got a huge game with Leinster on this weekend as well Um so, look, I, I, I'm one that, albeit every bit of uh, TV or exposure helps, I'm one that we have to get a house in order before we start banging down the door and complaining about RTE and TV3 not showing our games. Um, we've got to get things a little bit better first, and that will come, all of that stuff will come naturally, I think. And I think we, clubs have started to do that, we're not there yet. So, I, I, I go back to the first game of the season down the Turner's Cross, and I looked. And it's not that I look. Uh, the best way to put it is I spoke to someone from outside of the league who watches a lot of football. He's a, he's a scout for an English club. And he said the pitch looked terrible. So what's Dalyman Park going to be like in terms of the visuals of it, all that stuff? And when that all of that stuff improves, t- I think TV will follow by its nature. Yeah. I don't think that's the be on end all. I think we have a... It's almost... It, it, it used to be a cult to follow League of Ireland. Now it's a little bit more... It's, it's on the verge of breaking out. acceptable nearly. Yeah. Is that oh, the right yeah. word? Yeah, yeah. It's, so, it's indie as opposed to cult. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, so it's just growing and I don't think I it's don't the be-all and end-all just to be on TV. No, it's not. It's not. But I don't know if you've seen... Have you seen North Circular yet? The the documentary about the North Circular Road? No, the, no. The, um, there's a scene at Bowes... I think it's a Bowes Rovers game, yeah, actually. Is, yeah, yeah. yeah. And it's just stuff that I haven't seen on TV before, right? Now, obviously, it's a brilliant documentary maker who has lovingly crafted this, and so therefore, it's it's yeah. it's art, right? And I don't expect art from my TV coverage, but the immersion of the fans being central to the story of the football, like it's very attractive, and it's a way for the league to sell itself. And, and maybe the league needs to do this independently of the broadcasters and just start like this is what the atmosphere is. But really it's like, only one leg of the stool is the TV part, and it's not the most important part. The point that's the point on and to, the facilities are obviously incredibly important. And everything and give you like football, a, and the, yeah, a thirty-second league of our own history, Rovers were effectively homeless in the last 20 years they now have a beautiful stadium best team on the pitch it was fan led it was people got up put their own money into their pocket drove this club on to being what they are today and then they got the help of the council and different bits and pieces and outside investment now has come in and they sit on the top of the tree Bowls are going through the same process they nearly went bust they nearly went out of business people 
got involved and, and helped them and grow. And that's where these clubs are grown from. You go up to Sligo, the fundraising up there is exceptional. So when we get all of this and, and we were able to come to the top table and speak to the head of the RT with a real product, we can demand a bit more or whether it's Virgin and people are actually competing for a product. And we're getting close to that. We're just not there yet and I just but we're very close to it. It's chicken and egg stuff, isn't it really? Because you're saying there like once the facilities and stuff improve and the visuals that the TV cameras will come, but shouldn't the TV cameras come first and maybe then the, the, the interest and everything else and the finances are drummed up? Yeah, no, and in case I'm being, uh, I'm not explaining myself properly, the more they're there, the better. Yeah, yeah. Just, just keep doing what we're doing, keep improving, and I think they'll come naturally. And I think, listen, I, I, I think RT have a responsibility to show a certain amount of football from from Irish football, local football, they'd say they do a little bit of that. But we have a responsibility to give them something to do. So don't expect a cameraman to stand on top of a chipper van for argument's sake yeah, and fair. record something. Yeah. So let's let's all grow together, and I think that's the key to it. And if we if we try and be balanced in our arguments about League of Ireland, I think people might listen to us a little bit better. Mm. Um, there's news in the papers today that a verbal agreement has been reached between the council and Shelburne for Shelburne to get the lease for Talca Park, which would secure the long-term future for Talca Park. It's going to cost a lot of money, and so the club are going to have to find a way to finance that. And obviously they've been connected with um, outside investment, and there has been some... Uh, I don't know, there's been some change anyway in, in the management structure there recently, so we're uncertain about where that's going, but it seems like it's going in the right direction. Hopefully, Duffer was asked about it in the press conference and he was a bit uncertain about potential new owners dictating to the manager how to play. You'd really hope that doesn't happen. You'd really hope that if new owners come in, they're looking... Yeah, I think the whole city manager made a lazy comment around the time when Dundalk were coming in about, well, we should all play the same way if we're yeah. the same club. Um that was a lazy comment. Um, I'm sure he, he he probably regrets it. And um, whatever about like we pe- people would say on the outside, oh, you have to you have to be your own man and all that stuff. If you're part of an organisation, fine, grant. People don't understand that part. You look at Chelsea now. There's one there's one man in charge. End end the story. There always has been, but. But at the same time, you can't. That 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 just that sounded nonsense, and no League of Ireland club would accept that. And I think that might be a big part of why that deal ultimately fell through. That type of commentary. So, um, it, but at the same time, what Shells need to do is spend a hell of a lot of money. Does it? Does an amazing stand there that's um, has is is not certified for use at the back of one of the the goals yet the ground sells out so it's not perfect a lot of money to be spent down in Talca Park and I just hope the finance can be found from somewhere to do that so yeah. the council don't seem to be on board with that they want the Daily Mount as the, the sort of number one site in that area so it will be difficult for them to get to where they need to be Yeah, they'll be doing it independently really um, but if they own it then at least they can start funding it from the lottery and, and but that there's kind not of a huge history of independently owned or clubs doing a great job of that that's the fear yeah it's definitely a difficult path that they're going but that was part of the Save Talca uh, movement and they've obviously they've decided that Duffer's points about the referees um, yeah it, it was a big weekend for referees in terms of where we're at I was at that game um, I didn't um, I didn't I wasn't overly in love with Duffer's comments like I'm a big fan of Damien's and what he's done for the league and he is box office um, but it's like and a couple of referees might choke on their coffee this morning they're listening hearing me defend them but <laughs> it, we live in a world of social media now where there's no context on any decision made 
we don't see the referee's report. Paddy Barrett was sent off. Everyone has seen it online at this stage. What looks innocuous enough uh, challenge. Uh, um, I was at the game, and this is hindsight's wonderful. But I've, the guy who was sitting beside will, will come into court and verify that I said this to him. They made a change at halftime. Took off Luke Bourne, and maybe he was injured. And I was going, oh, I, I, I'd have been worried about Paddy Barrett. He was on a yellow card. He'd made two or three difficult challenges, and I don't know whether that played into the into the decision to send him off. So for context, uh, it was difficult. You've got it's uh, a persistent really fouling issue as much as anything. It could have been. Right. I don't know, but that's what I'm saying for context. We've no way known. Um, if you watch the clip, the referee's on the wrong side of it, so you, I, I would say the fourth official was probably involved in the decision. Um, but Paul McLaughlin, who's been name-checked, I wouldn't like to name anyone, because referees are amateur now or part-time, where a lot of a lot of people are in the league now are full-time. But Paul McLaughlin is, is, it, is regarded in the league as a, as a really, really good referee. And remember, there was one big decision Right, the whole crowd wanted in the ninety second minute Shelbourne player goes down, everyone wanted a penalty. He said no and he was dead right, it wasn't a penalty. So he made a really good decision in the middle of that game and people ignored it. But but it was a difficult night for referees. And the, the dangerous thing as well is it can and this isn't offers he probably wasn't thinking about this at the time, it can cause a pile on sometimes. You mentioned social media as well, like but like I know Paul McLaughlin, the referee from that, like he he's uh, based in Monaghan, he was a uh, Garda, but from Donegal originally I think it is. But like Thoroughly decent man, and then you think about the fact that you know he's going home to his family or whatever else, and it's tough then when the manager has called you out after the match. Look, if 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 a referee makes a mistake, fair fair enough. Yeah, but I think then you might encourage pile pile up piles on. Yeah, there's a lot of unbalanced. Like people are saying, oh, there's more yellow cards in the game, all of that stuff. And the last real, there has been a a sort of in-depth look at this, and the last real sort of, we're running at about five point zero one yellow cards, believe it or not at the moment after seven games but last time there was a real investigation into this a couple of years ago that would leave you sort of mid-table mm. of about 72 leagues across the world that was that was done okay, okay. so uh, Spain would be about 5.3 um, Serie A which would be a lot of fells in would be about 4.95 we'll, we overseas and in our league last year would be four point something in the mid but the problem is you go back to what we compare ourselves to Scotland would be about 4.0, League 1 and 2 would be 3 point something of a yellow card, right? So Statistically. Slightly more permissive. In, yeah, but I think our referees, and they, I'm not speaking for them, they have to speak for themselves. I think the, our referees are uh, more European. They want to be European refs. A lot of them are European refs. And they referee to a European style. So you can't compare it to English football. Okay. Slightly different in terms of the management of games. But we have got an issue. We have a real issue around referees. We've got some top-class referees, but we don't have real strength and depth in it. And uh, a lot of managers have made the same comments as Damien, but they obviously didn't grab the same headlines. And that's the, that. unfortunately, that's the key to it. It's really an issue in all sports. It's particularly bad in football because there's a culture where you're allowed to say basically anything about referees and there might be a slight slap on the wrist and in some leagues you get fined or you get banned for a game. But it doesn't really matter. It doesn't really change managers' behaviours. Yeah, and um, I've complained about referees. I've done it in in, in press. um, But I'd like to think... you, do you regret that re- now? But, back. but I regretted it at the time in many ways. I remember um, a key decision went against me when we played Shamrock Rovers. I ultimately think that cost Dundalk when I went back European football. It should have been 
uh, sending off on a red card. But when I went into the press conference at that stage, I think social media had started where I said, we should have got a decision. And uh, But I was very balanced on my view of that decision at the time. And when the press conference en- ended, I actually said to those four or five of the normal press guys, that decision is terrible, but I can't go overboard now. I think the ref is going to get piled on tomorrow when you see it back. So you have to be, you have to be conscious of that a little bit. But at the same time, then, the, the, and I'm going to use the there's a there's an example, a great example where Tim Clancy was uh, sent off for, against Rovers two weeks ago, and it was the his team. Tim was under. And I'm, I'm be careful of my language here, but Tim, Tim was under a little bit of pressure. Pats had, had a couple of bad results. Fans weren't happy the week before. They were 2-1 down to Rovers, and they scored a late goal in the 88-odd minute. A handball happens right in front of his bench. Sean Hoare controls. It looks like it hit, it hit his hand. I felt it didn't. Actually, the guy next to me felt it did. Right. So there's the difficult referees. Sean Hoare clips into the box, and chance a wonderful save by the goal. Tim goes mental with the fourth official. Um, because it's like it's a huge moment for him and his career as a manager for Pats as yeah. a club it's life or death it feels like in the moment it yeah. feels like it yeah. and emotion as a, and I've been there I've been in that difficult situation he walks away and he kicks a water ball and we're talking about the 92nd minute of a game that's brilliant that that game was stopped referee comes over gives him a red card yeah then subsequent corner uh Rovers almost score again. Sean Hoare has a half volley that hits the keeper, an amazing save. Like, Tim's fighting for his his club, his team, his everything. And the really, over the years, I've seen that happening. And the good, good, the, the best refs pretend he don't see that. They just pretend he didn't see him kicking the water bottle. And you understand the moment. Okay. And we're, that's where there's a balance in all of this, where we've got some really top referees. And I'd say to you, give you one example, the best ref in this league... It's probably the worst fourth official, right? And it, and for for reasons of he's just brilliant. He'll make the decision. There's no bias in him. There's no nothing. He, he, when he has a job to do, he does it. But he he probably doesn't mix with some of the managers. Some of them well enough. That's just life. I'm just saying people like me. Some people don't like me. And it's about finding that balance. But slaughtering referees and saying it's about assessors. There's been assessors since. 20 years in League of Ireland there's assessors when you play in Europe there's assessors everywhere and we've got to find a balance in this and protect the refs it's the hardest job in football probably you debate Harry Kane the other day you debate we'll debate penalty decisions I've done it here all, all over in a day and we need referees or else you don't have a but game and we've got to be careful about our language the footballers and, and football managers in the League of Ireland or in any league don't understand how or don't know how difficult the job of a referee is like we saw years ago didn't Carragher and Neville go off and, and become linesmen yeah. for a day and they were afterwards were like Jesus so much more respect like that is tough you know your minute calls in a split second so I don't know if there's a way for, for well we used to sit down at the start of the season and talk to them and and there was the, the, when the handball stuff came in, you know, just leading to a goal, that was explained a little bit and different things. But to be fair to the FEI, where, where they get a lot of criticism, they've invested in a, a package from Estonia called RefPal, okay? And what RefPal, we've got Y Scout instead as, as coaches, as managers, mm. and they've got RefPal, they've bought this. So there is improvement going on with referees where the decisions are analysed, where they get video links of all the decisions they made, what led up to, and different things. So there is investment and there is improvements coming, but there's no doubt the shortage uh, and there's a, there's a lack of strength and depth. But I think 
part of the challenge with referees and coaches is someone who's now able to look from the outside in, sitting in a lot of stands, looking over what's happening and saying, there needs to be relationship building. Mm. And I think that was what the League of Ireland was good at back in the day. The best ref, Alan Kelly and Ian Stokes back in the day. Anyone that knows League of Ireland will know them too. Alan's now working in the MLS as head of referees and I think that's missed. Yeah, no harm getting um, them back into the system, even just as like consultants or. Yeah, well, Ian Stokes, for example, still works in right. it, and, and a lot of the ex refs would still you'd see them at games. Yeah, mm. uh, the rest of the fixtures: Pats are at home to Cork, UCD at home to Shelburne, Dundalk at home to Sligo. On this is the Friday fixtures, obviously, and then Bowes Rovers uh, and Derry City against Drogheda. Um, it, I, I, look, the Bowes Rovers one obviously is the headline fixture there, but everybody else needs to keep going about their business, particularly Derry. Like it's a big weekend for them as well. You would expect them to beat Drogheda at home, and then if they were to go and win against Bowes on Monday night, equally they were the ones who at the yeah. end of it have six points. And like, yeah, that's it. That's exactly what we expected. I think Derry need to catch fire a little bit at the moment. I think they were just okay against Shelburne the other day. Ryan Graydon is is in excellent form. Um, it just needs to catch fire because while Rovers have been dropping points, you just need to keep keep building the lead. So, um, a big game for them this weekend. Cork. Uh, UCD look like they're going to be cut adrift so that battle for second place is, is sort of really important Cork Rory Keaton is playing really well for them so they need to keep building and I think the, the next transfer window will be important for Cork uh, but it is it's continuing to grow I was at uh, Talking Park the other night it wasn't a great game of football but it was uh, there's something about it something special like listen and then I watched um, Sligo and Bowles on Saturday night and I'll never get them two hours of my life back. So that's football. It happens. You yeah, have yeah. to live and, and breathe it. But um, it is what it is. But again, brilliant night for for Bowles on Saturday night. And what a big weekend for them. They're going to be tested now that they haven't been tested before, I feel. And we can confirm that Evan Ferguson's a Man United fan. Um, well, I'd say, put you this way, his father is a, is a Man United fan. and But his mother's from Coventry. He could sign for Coventry any day. Right. There you go. You heard it here first. Uh, many good stuff. Thanks a million. It's 8.52. Uh, right. Up next, John Duggan's Virtual Insanity Masters special. First, here's Paul McGinley chatting with Joe last night about Roy McIlroy. Case, Joe. Certainly his game is in great shape. It's never been better. Mentally, he's never been better. Uh, his putting obviously came back to form a couple of weeks ago in the match play as well as his driving and the new driver. And, um, you know, he's been practicing really well around here. He was up here last week and, you know, tore the place apart with how he played. But let's throw in the big, big factor, and that's expectation. You know, how is he going to play under the gun? And, you know, again, the old saying, you know, sport is about what happens when the when the gun goes off, you know, and, and performing in the allocated time. Uh, the allocated time uh, starts first round on Thursday, and his record in the first four rounds over the last four years is 73, 75, 76, 73. And only one player in the last 16 has come from outside the top 10 after round one, uh, to come back and win. So it's very, very difficult to chase on this golf course. Um, and obviously that's going to be a big key. We know he's got the, the balls to win. We know he's got the game to win. Uh, we know that the golf course suits him. We know that his putting and, and, and mentally he's never been in better place. So you're right when you say he, he's primed. Um, but he's got to deal with massive expectation to be only the sixth player in the history of the game to win uh, to win the Grand Slam. And there's a reason why only five players have done it. Only three living living players have ever achieved it, Joe, because it's such a huge thing to carry in your shoulders and, 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 and think to get over the line with. Um, so how he deals with that is going to determine how well he does.
You have entered our drive. In your life. Yeah, two times. That's how good it is. JD. Well, Jer and Shane, the head is so big in that visual that it looks like I had what Scotty Scheffler served up last night, which was a cheeseburger sliders, firecracker shrimp, tortilla soup, a Texas ribeye steak or blackened redfish with a warm chocolate chip skillet cookie and a milk and cookies ice cream. I'll have a little bit of it all, actually. <laughs> I would be happy with that. I noticed uh, Phil Mickelson was like, oh, I can't, I can't be having any of the, uh, the cookie because he's the new Slim, Slim Phil. I saw the interview he did, and I, I was just, whoa, I was taken aback now. He looked gaunt. He didn't have that kind of tan, that, you know, that rich tan that he would have had. Yeah, that rich people have. Mm-hmm. Uh, he was also wearing, um, obviously, the live stuff. He looked like a guy at a science fiction convention. And it was just a strange, strange uh, interaction. I've been to those conventions. What are you saying, John? Golfers do Comic-Con. <laughs> um, well, 41st out of 48th in Orlando last week, and I just don't feel... The love is there for him as much as it was, and I feel that's affecting him. Um, before we get on to the, the golfers, uh, you, you, you've won the Masters, right? And then the next year, the, the moment of pressure comes. What's on your menu? Oh. Tortilla soup you said he had. Is this for us, for me? For you, yeah. What would you do? I would have, uh, would have to be very Irish-themed. So the drinks, first of all, you'd have to have a keg of Guinness there. You'd have to have maybe Tipperary or Ballygan water. You'd have to have some kind of good Irish whiskey. So you've got to get your drinks. So, you know, that's all the drinks sorted on, on, on the left-hand side. On the right-hand side, then you'd have to have something like caramelised scallops, something like Irish fish kind of starter, um, or prawns or something like that, or salmon or something like that. Then for Maine, you'd have to be something like Irish beef, maybe peppercorn, cream brandy sauce, maybe roast potatoes, something like that, maybe some green beans. Um, I'm partial to a chocolate fondant with vanilla ice cream for dessert. Um, I'm sure there's like uh, lots of people who'd want like box tea and all these kind of Irish and bacon coddle. cabbage. I thought you were going to say coddle. Uh, batter sausages uh, or, you know, tato or something like that. I don't know, but I I think I'd be going for something quite traditional and Irish. Yourselves? It's a big carvery. Tato sandwiches as dessert is a good idea, yeah. yeah. Or a big glass of milk with, three, with your carvery. Ice cream with a wafer. Pepper sauce. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I, I just think you keep it simple, don't you? Like, you have to be, it has to be Irish if you're from this country. You know, you have to have some kind of Irish theme to it, I think. I agree. The, pints, the, the Guinness is essential. That, that, that's not, not even up for question. But you'd be fascinated if Rory or Shane did win this week, or Seamus Power, what, what, what would they be, would be serving? Like, obviously, Seamus Power's from Waterford, so would he be blast next year, you know? Mm. Um, it's a lovely way of asking the question, though, because usually people are asked their death row meal, but it's a less morbid way of thinking <laughs> about it. You know, your master's meal is a bit nicer, you know? Yeah, it's probably actually, yeah. Uh, <clears throat> but it's, right. it's one worth thinking about. Yeah, yeah. anyway. I know that we'll get some suggestions in the comments a, on YouTube. A slight tangent. Uh, right. Okay, you want the winners. Uh, so, Rory, before we get to kind of talk about the tournament in itself, Rory McIlroy is my headline pick. Um, I, pick I think I picked him the last few years, so why would I go against him now? What really encouraged me was, I watched the whole press conference yesterday, and I've never seen Rory as relaxed, and ooh, he looked on top of himself yesterday. He's gone to the matches before talking absolute nonsense about juggling and all these books he's been reading. He just looked very, very... Relax. I think he's got two people in his corner now that are helping him. Bob Rotella, the mind guru who helped Padraig Harrington win a major, and Brad Faxon, the, the putting machine. And he's happy with his driver now. He has what? Like if you're looking at the top 10 and seven of the last nine starts at Augusta National, second last year, should have won it possibly in 2011. Uh, he's playing well, reached the semis of the world match play. I think everything is aligning. Won both tours last year and a 15-2 to two win only uh, with one bookmaker you can get... Um, 
enhanced win only. He's going to take 20 year of my virtual cash. So he's the headline pick, Rory McIlroy, this week. The other ones I like, um, Xander Schaufele um, from the United States is somebody I like um, for 25 to 1 for 80 way. Uh, he's the Olympic champion, four top 15 finishes this year, won three times uh, last season, top seven finishes in five or six US Open starts. And at the Masters, he was second behind Tiger in 2019 and he was third behind uh, Hideki Matsuyama only a couple of years ago. He's got a strong all-round game, he's got a strong temperament and you need to be good on your approach shots at Augusta. You need to land the ball in the right spots in the greens and he's ninth in strokes gained approach this season and 20th in putting. Very strong all-round player, Xander Schauffele. Um Patrick Cantley, I'll always put up uh, as, as everybody's going to slag me off about it, but fourth ranked player in the world, a seven each way at 18 to one, the uh, fairy tale of New York price. So Patrick Cantley, um has got the best Masters record, but nearly uh, won it the year. Woods won it in 19. He, he closed at 64, 68. So he can shoot good rounds around the course. Once again, very good at finding the right spots around the course. Second in strokes gained off the tee this season. Fifth in greens in regulation. Playing very well. Four top 10 finishes in eight starts. So from an each way perspective, I think Patrick Cantlay could be right there for his first major. And the outsider then I picked is Justin Rose at 55 to 1 for five each way on Justin. 42 years of age now. Former US Open champion, Olympic champion. Won at Pebble Beach in bad condition earlier this year it's going to be rainy windy this week uh, at Augusta has the patience and the experience has got a good caddy on his side at the moment I think Justin Rose has been second twice at the Masters could finally break through sometimes it's not bad to go with a veteran so in descending order Justin Rose Patrick Cantley Xander Schaffler with the headline pick this week I'm going to go for the um, unsexy pick but I'm going to go for a man I think it's finally his time Rory McIlroy and I actually think the soft conditions this week will really help them because I think Phil Mickelson said yesterday the course is going to play long and it's going to be really more towards the people who can really drive the ball quite a long way and I think a softened course is where Rory won the US Open at Congressional I think he's primed to do it this week He's made the equipment changes Rory too hasn't he like he's older style putter I've heard people saying the shorter driver shaft like all the, those sound like little things I guess to non-golf fans but they are fairly significant but well, he changed his driver and he's at the press conference yesterday said he's very happy now with the way he's hitting the ball. Um, he's just making tweaks. I, I think that, look, I think the big thing for Maury Rackeroy from a challenging perspective will be what's between his ears. Um, but I just do get a sense of more serenity with him than a, in the, over the last 12 months than I would have had. He faced down Patrick Reed in Dubai. I think that was important. Yeah. And won those uh, two big events. Uh, well, two big tours last year. That's a very rare thing to do, you know. I think the Patrick Reed thing was very significant given what happened around Augusta when, you know, he just needed to see off Patrick Reed and he couldn't do it. Yeah, and also getting a subpoena or whatever he was on Christmas Eve uh, from, was it Reed's lawyer? Uh, so there was a degree of, um, you have to finish this off. So I do think, yeah, that was important. Is, hasn't had that many starts this year either, Rory. I think he's coming in quite fresh too. Is, Whereas I think with Scheffler and Ram, Scheffler's had the whole, uh, he's had to be the host yesterday and you've all this ceremonial stuff to do during the week and Ram has gone off the boil after winning three times earlier this year. Would you consider Patrick Reed the the number one prospect of the live players? Like he was fourth in Orlando, he, he, as you say. Like ran Rory quite close to the Dubai Desert Classic as well. So coming into a little bit of form, and, and he loves being the, the the bad guy, the villain as well. But he, he, is, he gets motivation out of trying to prove everybody wrong. The only thing about Patrick Reed is it's very hard to just judge how these live guys are going to translate to to Augusta. I think Dustin Johnson will do well because he doesn't give a toss. Um, Patrick Reed like had what didn't post a top thirty in any of the majors last year. Uh, three top tens, you say, nine Masters starts, um, second behind Rory, but he slipped to 17th of the world ranking. That's probably like 
because he doesn't get any points anymore. Nobody be fueled more by the chip in the shoulder than Patrick Reed. Uh, I just don't know how much Russ. But remember, the, these guys are playing; they're not playing elite courses anymore, and they're also only playing fifty-four holes. And they're all in these teams that nobody knows any idea of. I was even going on the website yesterday. I was trying to work out what they were doing, and like the website is just so basic. The amount of money that's been put into this thing, and there just seems doesn't seem to be a back end on it. There's no kind of back-end infrastructure in this whole thing at all, this live thing. I watched Cameron Smith's press conference, and all I saw was one big word that he like, it's almost like, te- it was just, the computer, the signals through, through my computer screen was saying, regret, regret. Really? Regret. Really? Regret. <laughs> wow, okay, why? I just, I felt it in his body language. Maybe I'm wrong, but um, did you watch the players? Well, I watched a few holes, then I was fishing with my mates. Um, yeah, it's, it's true to say the fields aren't as strong at Liv. Um, I've got a couple of changes of clothes in case I'm told not to wear the Liv gear by the Masters people. Um, my game is not where it could be. I've just got a sense of, hmm, is there a buyer's remorse here? Yeah. I, I, Dustin I, Johnson doesn't care. <laughs> yeah, it's got, man. I don't care. Nothing, nothing's changed. But I think with, with Phil Mickelson and with Cameron Smith, I got a sense of buyer's regret. Right. And from Mickelson, does it come across in just like... Body language, demeanor. It's physical change. He's and, half the man he used to be. Yeah, and it's also looking around, just kind of kind of just a, a sheepishness I kind of I kind of found, whereas Phil was always about the crowds. Now, it might be different. Look, Phil might shoot a good round and... Um, and the crowds are back. Yeah, and he's like doing the the, the the clapping. But all this like Greg Norman stuff, this is just really, really kind of vulgar about this kind of Ryder Cup style where all the lads will be around the green to jump. And then they ask Cameron Smith that and he goes, what? Nobody told me about it. Mm. So there's just, there's a frat boy vulgarity that I don't think Cameron Smith fits into. I don't actually don't think, even think Mickelson fits into it. But it's just like they're wearing these silly logos and nobody knows what the hell they are. <laughs> And uh, I just feel it's, uh, look, they're all going to be on their best behaviour because in Augusta, if you do anything, as we all know, if you even run at Augusta as a, as a, as a patron, as, as you have to be called as a fan, you get in trouble. I did not realise that. You can't run. You can't I knew, run. I knew the whole well, phone you'd be thing, told, but... yeah, yeah, cell phones running. Um, you know, my, my sister went there last year and she she was only allowed, like, they take your photo in front of the clubhouse, but you obviously can't bring your phone around. Um, yeah, it's... It, it, it's their world. It's their rules. Even the even the even the pairings. None of the live guys are in any of the marquee pairings. So it's just like clever things. It's, like it's, like to, I think two of the live guys are going out with Sandy Lyle. You know, it's right. not going to be. It's going to be taking his time around there. You know. Yeah, yeah. So it's just it's just funny. Like the little the little kind of um, childish intrigue to the whole thing. It's over twenty percent of the field are, are live golfers. And Brooks Kepka was saying the, the other day it would be a huge statement if one of the live golfers were to win. Uh, he's probably right, isn't he? Um, I think a bigger statement is what's happened yesterday with the European Tour uh, winning their case that independent panel deciding that they can penalise live golfers for, um, uh, you know, playing in tournaments they're not supposed to or whatever being released to. So what it does effectively, it shuts the door on Lee Westwood, Ian Poulter, Garcia from the Ryder Cup this year. So that that's more of a thing of a, a door closer on Liv. I think what Liv is, it's out of sight, out of mind. Uh, and that's what's going to continue to happen. And Smith is the only person who's still kind of relevant to the rankings. Bryson DeChambeau talking about the fact he's not there yesterday. Uh, Woods watched the press conference. Kind of sad. You don't know how many more of these he's going to have. He's talking about having a lot of hardware in his leg um, and that he just has been at home trying to replicate visually all the memories of winning at Augusta so he can try to get around and walk around. I think is is going to be a struggle for him for 72 holes. Just once again admitting he nearly lost his leg 
and he's almost like thankful to have a leg. So that was just kind of it was kind of poignant almost. We're going to have a lot. Of, we're going to hear a lot about the par five thirteenth. Yeah, that, that's that significant. That, it's it, well, as Wood said yesterday, in, in recent years, um, the technology and the athleticism has overpowered almost the thirteenth as a par five, and it became a par four and a half. So most players be going for the green uh, over the creek in two. Now it's a decision. Like Rory was talking about having maybe a five iron for a second shot in his practice rounds. So there's a degree of risk and reward, which is the whole point of um, Ray's Creek and, and all of that. So as Wood said, there'll be probably more fours and fives than threes and sevens at the 13th. But it's going to inject a bit more jeopardy into the final round on Sunday, as does 15. So that's going to be fantastic. Um, look, there's a, as Patrick Hantley said, there's always subtle changes to the course. Every single year, they're making little subtle changes to, to, to what, and then you have to suss it out. But I think the weather is going to be a huge thing. They do have sub-air systems to dry out the greens, but if you do get soft conditions, it's going to play quite long. And uh, like a player like Rory hits the ball so high, can then maybe like draw the ball into some of these hole locations, land it quite softly, and then have a put. So look, it's it's absolutely fascinating. From an Irish perspective, we got four in the field. Shane Lowry, uh, when I'm looking at him, well... As he said to Paul Kimmage in the interview the other day, he's only playing maybe three rounds out of four. He's lost his caddy. He's not in the form maybe he was last year when he's tied third. He definitely has the game first. He's got the wedge game. He's got the feel. He's got the ingenuity. Um, but look, um, uh, he doesn't win that often. And I'm thinking just six wins as a pro, Shane Larry, which is interesting. All big ones, though. All big ones, yeah, to yeah. be fair. Um, Seamus Power is also 36, second Masters start, tied 27th last year. Has had a couple of victories on the PGA Tour, one in Bermuda in October. One of the better putters and scramblers. But I do think you need about five or six or seven goals generally to be um, like competitive at the Masters. Um, and Matt McLean is the amateur from Belfast, 29-year-old optometrist. Uh, won the US Mid Amateur in Wisconsin last year. His goal is to make the Walker Cup team at St. Andrews this year. So there's plenty of stories. Like a guy like Sahith Tagala could be somebody to watch out. He's a rookie, but no rookie's won in 44 years now. Mm. at the Masters so um, John Ram as well you can't forget um, like he's once again channeled by a lot of drive and he can be quite temperamental but he's definitely got the game and he's a winning machine and he's won a US Open so um, yeah There was the lovely video of, of Shane Larry yesterday or the day before on his social media of, of in the car driving his dad down Magnolia Lane his dad's obviously buzzing Brandon um, yeah or sorry yeah Brandon but like I, I mean he'll take confidence from from last year at Augusta you'd imagine Larry like there's no reason why he can't do it as you say he doesn't win that often but when he does it's it's fairly significant Max Homa is a name that, that seems to be cropping up and Max Homa's playing very well six top tens and ten starts tied six of the players but um, he's yet to break 70 at Augusta right so that's the only thing about him that might be a little bit of a concern um, yeah there's so many Tony Finau can he put well enough Will Zalatoris does he put well enough Victor Hovland does he chip well enough Justin Thomas um, hasn't been red hot in his form Sam Burns won the match play but once again missed cut on his debut last year Colin Marikawa hasn't won since 2021 a brilliant iron player Cameron Young hasn't won at all Jordan Spieth what, what kind of Jordan Spieth version are we going to get this week you know a lot, a lot, a lot of storylines Sung Jai Im is definitely a dangerous player Matt Fitzpatrick US Open champion but a bit out of form um, Hideki Matsuyama wouldn't rule anybody out from backing him because He's back in uh, form, fifth of the players, type 15 for courses, in yeah, Texas. Yeah. yeah, won a couple of years ago. Jason Day is playing well. All right. Plenty to get your teeth <laughs> stuck into. <laughs> the podcast is coming out by the next hour or two, so you can listen on the Go Loud Network and uh, enjoy. Uh, what's your What's your favourite part of the Masters, Jer? Um, is it the smarmy gymnast post 
interview in Butler Cabin. Oh, Butler Cabin, the creepiest place in the universe. I love the way he says we're in the world. We're broadcasting to the world now. Uh, I, like I, I don't know the the um, around the turn. Yeah, Amen Corner. Yeah, around the turn on on Sunday evening is generally pretty good. The wildlife, the azaleas, the the greenery, the sun, just f- the feeling that I want to be there. The feeling that it's not on planet Earth. I wonder, is that bird music real? I'd say those birds died about a century ago, John. <laughs> like all the people in the can laughter. Right. All right, lads. That's this week's Enjoy. That's this week's episode of Virtual Insanity, a master special. You have entered Power Drive. We'll bring you Joe Malloy's preview on the show tomorrow uh, between half past seven and ten o'clock. Here's some highlights on the OTV Podcast Network for you. The latest episode of The Hurling Pod is up and available now. Search The Hurling Pod wherever you get your podcasts. The football show, obviously, daily and uh, rugby daily is available for you as well in our rugby feed. You can follow OTB across social and subscribe to the Off The Ball Podcast Network. After the break, Ireland versus USA doubleheader build up with Kathleen. You're listening to OTB AM. The Koi Gig Pod on Off The Ball. And she's still mouthing off at the ref. I was like, oh no, this is not good. When it went into the second half, I was like, that's exactly what Arsenal needed. They didn't have her on the pitch. They would have flaked because they were flaking. And it just seemed to be that little bite in her, the kicking out, the moaning at the ref. I'm not saying to do that, but I'm just saying like it kind of did drag them along. Keep up to date with all the WSL action every Tuesday and subscribe to the feed in the OTB Sports app now. OTB AM with Gillette Labs. Get the ultimate shave or your money back. Neon Night Edition available now. It's 11 minutes past nine. Uh, uh, Kathy McNamee of Koi Gig is with us to talk to us about the Republic of Ireland's two upcoming friendlies against the USA. Um, a nice handy one for us. You know, we expect to win both these routine 3-0 victories for us, right, against one of these kind of... Do they even play football? I uh, no, not at all. They hate football over there. Um, yeah, uh, it's going to be interesting. I was kind of, We talked a bit about it on Koi Gig this week about what we actually expect from this game and the general consensus was first game, go out, actually play try and you know make it as close to world cup conditions as possible and then maybe second game test a few players you know try a couple of different formations a couple of different setups and just give players game time because there are quite a few players in the squad who aren't getting consistent game time at the moment so that's going to be something for Vera Pau to test out and I suppose see what sort of legs are in the team at the moment. Do you think they agree in advance with the USA will you play your strongest team in this one and we'll mix it up or is it as um, you know are they as simpatico as that? I don't know I've heard it depends on the team I think sometimes so sometimes coaches do have close relationships and they do have these conversations I remember Serena Wiegmann saying once that she had it when she was working with Netherlands that she knew certain co- coaches on the circuit and you'd go into certain international breaks and say okay, this is what we're going to do or this is what I want from this game. But I also think it depends, like, you know, the way we played Germany and China the last time in the last international break, like that Germany game, there obviously was some sort of agreement because the first half, it was behind closed doors for one, first half they played their, we played our strongest side and they played their slightly weaker side and then the second half, this two teams swapped. So in a situation like that, 
there's obviously been some conversation between the coaches to say, okay, this is what we're going to do. Because they, they both want to get the most out of it. Yeah. yeah, exactly. Whereas, say, with the China friendly, I don't know how much of a conversation went into that. So I think there is a difference if it's like a behind closed doors game or if it's a fully televised, like, stole out stadium, sort of a international friendly. And what do we expect in terms of numbers from the UX? Just in case anybody was unaware, we've been completely facetious. These are incredibly difficult friendlies <laughs> against one of the greatest teams in the world, an absolute powerhouse and generally massive support for the USA whenever they play at home. Yeah, so I think they're looking at probably like twenty, thirty thousand 30,000 for the two games, hopefully. Um, that's the capacity of the stadiums anyways. And from what I've seen, the ticket sales are going quite well. I'd say the Saturday game is much more likely to get a bigger crowd. Not only is it Denise O'Sullivan's 100th cap, and she's a massive figure over in the US for her time in the NWSL. Um, Judy Ertz, who's one of the US's big players, she is also having a big cap anniversary. I think she might be 100 as well. Um, she's just been brought into the squad after quite a bit of time time away and it's also Saturday afternoon I think it's half two US time so it's much more favourable compared to half seven on a Tuesday evening um, but yeah I think it should be a big crowd there's some talk that Adeleke might turn up because she's right. in the University of Texas and also the AFLW All-Stars are going to the game on Saturday as well um, Amber Barrett was doing pressers last night and she was asked about whether they or she was asked someone said you know there's fair few Donegal girls on the team <laughs> and she was joking that uh, she'd asked Vera would she be allowed to line up with the All-Stars but she hadn't got an answer yet So, <laughs> so who's who of Irish sport turning up then? Like, it's fascinating that the choice of really strong opposition seems to be a Vera Pau method I know I was listening to her talk during the week before Euro 2009 with the Dutch they were playing Germany I think they got thrashed by Germany but ended up in the tournament then getting all the way to close to the final as well so it's it's a ploy that, that works. Turns out playing good opposition helps. Yeah. Yeah, I mean there's been a very clear difference in the squad from that win against Australia in Tala and the sort of opposition that we've played since then. Um and Vera Powell has been very clear, like when I was talking to her over in Marbella, uh, when the China friendly was happening, she was saying that she's she's planned every single opponent that we face. So like she wanted to face Germany because of their like technical ability and their skills. She wanted to face China because a lot of the Chinese players aren't the sort of players that anyone on the Ireland squad would ever face. She wanted to face the US because they're the best in the world. She wanted to face France because they're also one of the best in the world. She wanted to face you know all these different teams for different reasons and why they're going to support us and help us. So, so like the US would play quite a similar style of football to Canada. So we have faced Canada in our World Cup group, but we don't necessarily want to play them now a couple of months out from the World Cup. So it's interesting to see. And it's interesting if you look at like who the other teams in our group are facing. They're kind of doing similar stuff. So like Canada are playing France, uh, Australia are facing Scotland and England. I presume that's partly because a lot of their squad are based over there as well and then Nigeria are playing Haiti and New Zealand so you can kind of see where the teams are coming from in terms of the opposition that they're picking and look I think it's a testimony that uh, we're able to get fixtures against the USA because they could pretty much pick anybody they wanted and obviously they feel like we'll sell some tickets for them too so uh, two big games we'll get into the, the nitty gritty of the games in a few minutes but we did want to talk about something else that came up in the Amber Barrett conversation there's been a move in all sport globally towards dark shorts as opposed to white shorts for women. Um, the English football team, I think, are debuting their new dark shorts this week. I think Wimbledon have announced that they're going to allow dark shorts. And 
it's basically everywhere because everybody understands that uh, dark shorts are uh, better and um, it has come up in conversation repeatedly over the last number of years. Amber Barrett was asked about this, right? Mm-hmm. And what, 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 what did she say? Because you, you were on this call yesterday when she was talking about it. Yeah, so uh, it was John Fallon from The Examiner who asked the question, but she was asked, would the was it a thing that the Irish team were interested in? Um, we actually have a clip of her giving her answer to it, which was quite interesting. But basically she was asked, do the Irish team want to wear dark shorts? Is this something that's going to come in their future, especially with the World Cup approaching? Yeah, well, to be perfectly honest with you, it's not um, a conversation we've directly had. I think, you know, we we have just had the changeover from Umbro to Castori and hopefully that the next, you know, over the next while, that is something that, you know, hopefully for all women's teams, that will be something that will be part and parcel of their kits. So hopefully that is something that comes down the line now. I'm not, to, to be honest with you, John, I'm not completely sure what the, what the standpoint is that we'll hear, you know, if it's possible, but I'm sure it is if the conversation's had. Was there something you would like to see? Yeah, of course. I think it would make every every woman's life a lot easier. Right. So that was yesterday in the press conference. What time did that happen? Uh, that was around half five, six o'clock yesterday evening. And then a statement came through from the FAI afterwards. Yeah. So afterwards, everyone was like, oh, that's interesting. And a lot of people were saying, you know, it's a certain news story we're going to run. And the FAI said the Football Association of Ireland can confirm that following discussions with the Ireland women's national team players, that the team will wear the traditional green jersey, white shorts and green socks as part of the new Castori home kit. The FAI consulted with the senior leadership group within the squad and with management on the possibility of switching the colour of the shorts. But with the supply of protective underwear, the players felt that staying with white shorts was the preferred option. Which doesn't really tally with the exact testimony we've just had from one of the players. I don't know, is Amber Barrett not in the senior leadership group? Is it? She said it's something we haven't actually talked about. Maybe immediately afterwards, because it came up in the conversation and that hadn't been predicted as a line of questioning, which should really have been predicted as a line of questioning. Um, They did then subsequently consult with the players, but uh, it would make everybody's... I I can't remember the exact line that Amber Barrett just told us. It would make every woman's life easier or something along the lines. So this just doesn't make any sense. It, it doesn't seem to follow on logically that like there's a movement in the world. We've we've asked somebody for their opinion. They've given their opinion. Everybody else is going this direction. And the FAI consulted with the senior leadership group within the squad and management on the possibility of switching the colour of the shorts. And they've said no, that staying with white shorts was the preferred option. Yeah, well, I, I'm pretty certain that Amber Barrett isn't in the senior leadership group. From what I understand, it's Katie McCabe, Denise Sullivan, Louise Quinn and Lee Fahey when she's obviously she's not in the camp at the moment because she is injured. Um, it's, it's a weird one because I've heard a few of the team talk maybe like outside of the actual Irish setup about this. You know, um, Emma Carroll actually sent me just before we came on a panel discussion that Louise Quinn did with her sport saying, you know, it's a it's a conversation that she's had many times in many different forms and that it is something that could be a lot more comfortable for women and girls like and again it's all it is personal preference to a certain level like some people don't care at all and other people it does make a big difference it just seems weird that somewhere the message is getting lost where there has been this or well the FER is saying there has been this discussion with players on the team but then there are also other players on the team being like no we haven't directly had this conversation I'm sure they've had it like in between themselves was the impression I got from Amber Barrett but that there wasn't a a more rounded conversation with the entire squad. And I think that is important too, because like uh, Sinead O'Carroll was on 
the weekend show here talking about it a couple of weeks ago, and she tweeted about it as well, saying that in her squad, the GA team she plays with, they had a conversation and they decided to stick with white shorts, but implement other things. So like more sanitary bins or more options of like how you would actually get products in the team and talking about these things and saying to players, you know, if if you're not feeling great, okay, well, like, let's look into how we can do better training around your period or whatever it is. And she was like, that's how we decided to approach it as a squad. So it seems to be that there are conversations happening within the FAI, but they're just not filtering down in maybe the way that they should be. Um, or, or, or like, the, you know, in the absence of uh, the players coming out and saying, no, we fully agree with the white shorts, right? Because this is a statement from the press office. In the absence of that... Speculation will be that there's a dispute between Castore and the FAI, or that they're not going to have enough kit ready in time for it, or you know, the, like what 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 comes out then is like speculation as opposed to, particularly because we just had testimony from one of the players saying it would be better if we didn't have the white shorts, and then immediately afterwards there's a statement from the FAI saying we're going to have the white shorts. Like, uh, you yeah, know. no, there it definitely. Uh, probably raise more questions than like it's a sort of thing where even I think if the statement hadn't have come out last night and then they had actually taken the time to talk to the squad and then they were like this came up and we've had a conversation and this is how we feel it was just so like I, I looked it up there just to double check it was about an hour and a half after the press conference ended that the statement came through and there was other pressers on afterwards too so probably only realistically like an hour or so after it all ended it's just a, it was a very interesting timing and the fact that Amber, in the way that she normally is, she's a very honest yeah. player, and, but she was very emphatic in it. There wasn't really a question in her mind of she was like, yeah, no, it would make my life better. Um, and it's interesting too because, so obviously now all the new kits are coming out for the World Cup for the teams that get specific World Cup kits and Nike released theirs and theirs have built in like specific supports for women. So you know, like in certain men's shorts, you almost have like a second pair of underwear inside of them for support. Yeah, These are basically similar enough and it's like a second pair in there that have special um, technology, I suppose, in them that make sure you don't leak. And the hope is for Nike that they're going to then extend that and roll that into other parts of their normal everyday kit. So like this is the sort of stuff, these are the sort of conversations that are happening with certain countries and certain kit manufacturers. So there are a lot of different avenues yeah, to would, pursue and you would hope that those conversations were being happened. Yeah, it's an opportunity to innovate and you would hope that Castori are, are uh, taking that opportunity to innovate. But it just felt like there was a bit of um, dissonance between what we heard and then what we were told. And, uh, you know, um, it's pretty easily fixed and uh, certainly cleared up over the next while. Now, we, we are joined by Maeve de Berka, former Republic of Ireland International. Maeve, all the way from Argentina this morning for us. Um, these fixtures against the United States, from a player's perspective, it doesn't really get any better. Obviously, the World Cup is going to be the, the, the absolute peak, but a build-up against the United States is a big opportunity for somebody to write their name in pen in Vera Pau's team sheet. Yeah, that's it exactly. Um, good morning to you. But yeah, the the games against the World Cup um, champions, you know, you can't get much bigger than that. Like you said, aside from the major tournament um, itself, but 
you know, they're four-time World Cup winners, four-time Olympic champions, so um, it really is the biggest test um, for the squad. But like you said, it's um, it's a huge, I suppose, opportunity for the girls, Irish girls, to um, write their names to make sure they're on the plane um, to Australia. Uh, there's also, I suppose, a bit of trepidation because, as you say, four times, four times World Cup champions, four times Olympic champions. Somebody might have a bad game against somebody, and therefore manage to get out of the team. That's it. The, the Americans are so fine, um, you know. And um, I suppose if that was to happen, it could, um, yeah, they could play themselves out of the, the squad, unfortunately, as well. And um, you know, given there's only 23 spaces, um, you know, in the squad for, for the tournament, then it is. It's really, um, I suppose, every kind of every play counts within the games, and um, yeah, that's the main thing. I suppose they'll be hoping not to, to make mistakes. But um, on the flip side, then the US, they're going to be all. Um, this is their last international camp as well before the squad is picked. Um, you know, fr- from their point of view, they're going to be all guns blazing as if they they don't already approach every game like that. There's going to be even a more incentive for the Americans as well. Important as well, uh, Maeve, that, that some of these players that aren't in uh, get back in because you look at the absentees from the squad Nia Fahey, Chloe Mustaki, Ellen Malloy, Jessu, and Liam Kiernan, Megan Campbell out for personal reasons as well. So, uh, as Vera Powell pointed out this week, they, they need to get back in and play in as soon as possible because it's really not that far away. No, it's not. It's, it's creeping up now, um, day by day. I think um, you know, and those girls are vital parts of the squad. Nisa um, in particular will be um, be very important for her um, to get back in. She's such a, a vital um, cog for, for Ireland and Megan as well. And um, like that, it just gives the girls now, I suppose, who are, are in the squad at the moment, know that these players are, um, you know, if they're fit, they'll be on the plane. So. Um, I suppose this is their kind of their opportunity just to stake the claim. But um, like you said, there's um, there's important girls missing as well. On that question about who's beyond the team, Amber Parrott talked about it a little bit last night. Maeve saying, you know, there's 27 players that Vera Powell has brought over. There's the extra two that are meeting up with the squad there, and and Amber herself was kind of saying you know I haven't had a lot of playing time and we were asking are you worried about that do you think there are players in this I know everyone has to be a little bit on edge because of the the stakes that are there but are there any players do you think that should be particularly worried or you know as someone like Lucy Quinn who had been pretty much a stalwart in the squad just about made it on the play and I think she got her call up on Sunday evening and they flew on Monday morning yeah, I think I would imagine um, close to half the squad themselves are probably, you know, really um, nervous as such um, just to make the squad. I wouldn't say there's, aside from the, you know, the starting 11 or close to maybe, I suppose, 13 players who would be playing regularly, like, you know, it doesn't tend to change the starting lineup a whole lot. Um, like I said there, Amber wouldn't have been getting much game time, but I mean, she's made such an impact off the bench that I, I you know, myself would think that she'd, she'd be a definite on the plane. But um, like you said, the girls, I suppose they'll just have to take opportunities in training if, if they don't come within the, the match scenarios. I'm sure they've been watched um, by all the coaching staff, not just here within the, the training sessions. And, you know, it's a long enough camp that I suppose there's a lot goes on that we won't see um, only on match day. You know, we, we're making our judgment 
constituents-based of what we see um, in the 90 minutes, but I'd say, you know, they're obviously taking into account everything. They're, even their interactions around the group within, you know, how they are off-pitch off interactions and how important they can be, um, you know, within the squad setting, especially when you're um, heading to a tournament that you're going to be together for weeks on end. I think it's important to get the right um, balance of characters within a squad as well. On that point, right, how difficult is it or uh, what would the atmosphere be like if somebody gets catapulted in from nowhere to the squad at this point? Yeah, I think it's a difficult one. I mean, um, it's really the the people I suppose that's going to affect the most is, is the girl who's left um, at home without, um, you know, been on the plane and then, you know, she's just replaced instantly. But um, I suppose it's, it's cutthroat, international football is cutthroat and, um, you know, we've seen it there. Um, Vera isn't afraid to add to the squad. But um, personally, I think if, you know, if they're a starter or that, I think it's um, it would be easier to, for others to, to accept it almost. Whereas you know if they're just coming along as a squad player to replace a girl who's um, been part of the you know the campaigns over the years in qualifying and that I think that would be more difficult um, you know to see. But I, I can't imagine I can't foresee that would happen at this stage. Yeah, we we, we will wait with bated breath. What would good results be in the two games, Maeve? Um, I suppose a damage limitation given the, the calibre of the opponents but I mean a draw would be massive um, I'm pretty sure he's never um, got a result against the US usually um, it can be it can be um, in the past would have been high scores I remember we, we did get I think uh, maybe a 2-0 or 3-0 as well um, at times but um, it would be it's, like I said it's great um, preparation you know for the games against um, Australia Canada in particular and, and Nigeria like they'll, they'll be um I suppose they'll be just setting up in a similar way. Their, their focus will be on how they'll be setting up in the World Cup. So um, I'd, I'd expect to see a low block. And um, yeah, I mean, the result, uh, a draw will be great. But sure, we can always dream of, of a win. Who knows anything is possible, really. All right, Maeve, great to have you on. Thanks a million for joining us. Cheers. Thanks a lot, guys. It's uh, Maeve de there, former Republic of Ireland international. I heard Maeve saying there that she expects a low block and I could just hear Karen Duggan in my head being like, a low block, not a low block, anything but a low block. She's very against the low, well, she's not against it, but she's a bit tired of seeing it with the Irish team, as any Koigig listeners will know. Yeah, I am. Um, we are definitely going to see that, though, in this game, right? 100%. Like, that's, that's her identity as a manager. That's what Vera Power wants this Ireland team to be like and there's a there's definitely an argument for it right there is there is I, I, but I also do get the frustration with some play like some of the former players or people who have watched this team for a while where you're like we do have talents there like Vera has got this team to a level of confidence that we have probably never seen before and the idea that we can actually play good football when we want to and that we can we don't have to persist with the low block that we can actually release some of those players and do something really magical and if we're going to try it at any time now is the time you know when we have all these warm-up games this is the time to try these things doesn't work doesn't work that's why you have two games in an international window that's why you have behind closed doors games you know there are opportunities to try these things and I suppose it would just be nice to see a little bit of creativity from the squad. Funny, you see names like Alex Morgan and Lindsay Horan being thrown around for obvious reasons but like the reality is you forget that some of these Irish players, quite a few of them are, are used to playing against players of that calibre in the, in the WSL and I know we have Australia up first in the World Cup and the small matter of, of Sam Kerr 
but they have players Ireland that that are capable of of dealing with these with these girls as well. Oh yeah, I mean particularly Denise O'Sullivan. Whenever you listen to any of the US players talk about her, it's like she is one of the best players in the world. Like she is world class. Um, I remember like when I worked with ESPN, which is obviously a like US based outlet, and interviewing the likes of Crystal Dunn and Sam Mewis, and I would always be there trying to get my like little Irish question in at the end. But uh, a lot of time you'd ask them about someone like Denise O'Sullivan. And they would just be like, never had a teammate like her, never played against someone like her. She is an absolute workhorse, but she is 100% there for the team. And obviously it's a big weekend for her as well because she's going to make her 100 cap on Saturday. Rumour has it she's also going to captain the team, take over the armband from uh, Katie McCabe for the event, which I don't think anyone would take as a a massive surprise either way. But uh, Amber Barrett was saying last night that playing with Denise O'Sullivan is the sort of thing you, you tell your grandkids about. You know, it's a it's a privilege and an honour and something that she's very glad she had the opportunity to do. Um, she'll be 29 making her 100th appearance for Ireland for context. Robbie Keane was 30 when he made his 100th appearance and he was obviously a prodigy uh, in the team from the time he was 17 as well. So it's an incredible achievement for her and as you say, uh, genuinely world-class as well. To, to go back to the question that we were asking there about players being parachuted in, uh, Sinead Farrelly is the one um, who is the name at the moment who's training with the team. Is this training with a view to something after the World Cup? Is it because she happens to be like on the same continent? What's going on here, do you think? It's an interesting one because Vera alluded to it in her press conference in, on Friday. She said, you know, there's someone who's going to come into it. We asked her, are there any more players coming in? Because obviously she's already brought in quite a few new names. And she said, uh, there's one player that's going to train with the team for three or four days while we're over there because we just want to see where she's at. Um, now, for anyone who doesn't know, Sinead Farrelly hasn't played professional football for eight years. She was one of the main whistleblowers for the NWSL abuse scandal um, she was the one who came forward about the former Portland Thorns coach Paul Riley and once uh, she stopped playing with Portland Thorns back in 2015 she didn't play again so she's 33 now um, she just signed a new contract about two weekends ago with Gotham she got her first 20 minutes of professional football at the weekend against uh, All Rain that was a 2-0 defeat for Gotham so very interesting one I mean from what Fira said on Friday, I got the impression that this is someone who could come into the team at some stage. Uh, but then when I saw who the player actually was, I was very surprised because Fira is big on, you know, you should be getting minutes. And this is someone who hasn't played for eight years. And when Sarah Rowe alluded to the fact that, you know, maybe she might be interested in getting into the World Cup squad, there was quite a lot of people being like, nah, you haven't played soccer in a long time. And... I don't know. I, I'd be interested to see what the reaction was. I mean, if she comes in and she plays really well, I don't think there's any arguments to say that she can't play for us, but I would just be very interested to see what some of the home-based reaction would be to that. For context for people, we can submit a list of 50 players a couple of days before that, Zambia-friendly in June, which is huge. But then, of course, it has to be paired back significantly. Yeah, it has to be brought back down to 23 for the actual World Cup, which a lot of coaches aren't happy about. They wanted it to be raised to 26. So, yeah, uh, I mean, it could be someone who is good to have in the squad for the next couple of months and plays some of the friendlies or helps the squad train. But I, I would be massively surprised if she makes the World Cup squad. I mean, for me, the main player that has been brought in so far that I can see making the squad is Aoife Mannion. Um, She's a centre-back. Yeah. Right. Okay. Uh, 
Is there a possibility that they're looking at Farley as somebody who can join the squad after the World Cup? I mean, given the age profile, it's probably unlikely, but... I feel like it's unlikely. 33 is quite... It's, you know, it's on the kind of side of you're slowly making your way out of a team, um, especially if she's a midfielder as well, so... Not a lot of miles on the clock, though, you know? Like, could easily True. play four years uh, at a professional level and decide that actually coming over and playing in the Euros is something that is of, of interest to her, you know? Yeah, or the new Nations League that's coming up. Uh, no, there's like there's plenty of opportunity and I mean, it's a, it's an incredible story. Everything that herself and Manishim went through over the last couple of years and now see both of them back playing professional football after so long out. I mean, all credit to the two of them and... You know, I hope the the camp is a good experience for her, and I mean, I'm sure it is. It's, they're a great bunch of girls in general. But yeah, I <laughs> I've seen some of the anger in general at the few dual players that have been brought in already, especially at like domestic level. So I I would be interested to see if there would be a little bit of controversy if Sinead Farrelly was brought in more permanently. All right, we shall see. Kathleen, good stuff. Uh, when's this week's episode up? Uh, it's already up. There you go. Uh, this week's episode of Quite available. Just search. Uh, Koi Gig wherever you get your podcasts uh, OTBAM Live with Gillette Labs got the ultimate shave or your money back Neon Night edition available now on tomorrow's programme Paul Galvin Tommy Walsh Masters with uh, Joe Malloy and Champions Cup build up plenty more as well uh, a big reaction to our I think Munster fans are entitled to uh, cheer for Leicester why would a Munster fan cheer Leinster's opposition asks Tom F1 Dublin 1 why would any Irish rugby fan not cheer an Irish provincial team? Absolutely disgraceful. As a Leinster fan, I cheer all Irish teams. Shocking. I mean, that's kind of my point, you know. Are you saying Leinster fans are more sophisticated? Jerry, is that what you're saying? Uh, no, I'm saying that like uh, your privilege as a Leinster fan is something that you need to be aware of. So it's easy to be nice when you're winning. Exactly. Like uh, all of the resources, all of the coaching. And I, I am a Leinster fan, but I would actually prefer if Munster fans were not happy. Like uh, Anyway. You As said an that Arsenal fan, I can confirm this is the nicest I've been in about 10 years. <laughs> <laughs> and you, have you ever cheered for Chelsea in a Champions League final? Not a chance. Like, or Man United or Liverpool? Tottenham. No. no. Like, <laughs> it just, it, that's, that's the whole point of rivalry. It's not like, oh, my team are gone, so I wish, I wish you all the very best. Yeah, but you wouldn't, uh, you know, you wouldn't go to those games. You know, I'm going to get... You I'm wouldn't go to a Champions League final if you got it, or, or like, if it, was in, if it was in your country or in your city, you wouldn't go to, to watch high-quality sports. I would, yeah. This is your sport that you're mad about. There's a, f- I, like, if, there's no, there's if no... I, if I'm in a snooker match and I really actively dislike the player, I don't start shouting. So, ah, come on. Like okay, it, it's not this. This isn't snooker. It's not snooker. But it, but regardless, in sport, I think it's do what John Egan's mum did against Portugal. Wore a Portugal jersey just so she could get into the game. Oh wow! Mm-hmm. That's Next level stuff. You yeah. can catch yes. that interview on off the ball channels. Uh, the IRFU broke the model, which made rugby in Limerick successful. Says David Valerie. They'll say it was worth it because Dublin schools are producing enough for the Irish team. But Munster fans have a chip. Go Leicester. I mean, I, I understand. Uh, all of the reasons why you might say that. As a Munster fan, I'm insulted by the last five seasons, never mind trying to choose teams. It's Danny Mac 1. Munster fans, some cheek to complain about representation when you look at their performances. Uh, as a Munster fan, I do not want Leicester to win. The Leinster team are basically Ireland, so I'll support Leinster as much as a Munster man can. It's the point. It's a World Cup year. Would you not want the Leinster players to be continuing to win and win and win and keep that winning momentum, Jerry? I know you love it. I do you so think there is a bit of a difference between Irish and English teams, I won't lie. Yeah, you don't want Leicester to win. It's an English team. I'm just saying, then, then uh, you're, you're not a Munster fan. 
I'm not a monster. Well, I'm not a monster fan. I'm from Monaghan. Exactly. So you, I, I, I. Yeah, but I'm not from Leinster either. I'm not supporting Leicester this weekend. No, but I, I want Leinster to win. It's kind of an irrelevance to you in a way. Why? Because it's not your. It's not your first sport. No. If, if rugby is your first sport and your nearest rival is crushing you with grinding, automatic, mechanical relentlessness, and. Uh, and you're going to sit there and watch them parade the trophy, it looks like, in their home stadium with a team that's going to last forever. Monster fans are weeping somewhere. I feel sorry for Monster and all this. Right. Legion mentality. The uh, rest of the show is Dan McDonald on the football show. Have a wicked Wednesday. OCB AM with Gillette Labs. Get the ultimate shave or your money back. Neon Night Edition available now.